0: I think one of the biggest frustrations is I never felt like I didn't have creative control. Like this is what's interesting. Our whole lives we hear these stories about fighting for your creative control. And I think that happens in the studio level, obviously. I feel like I I thought I was going to be having, uh, you know, for all these years I thought I was gonna be having those battles. And for me, like on Dying a Gunfight, having more money, the battles weren't that. I still had my creative control. The battles were just like, you're, you're just spending so much money a day. You know, I think we were spending like 200,000 a day or something crazy where I was like, this is, it, you just feel it bleed, the money's just going to the cranes and the toys and all the things that look cool. But I'm like, I'd rather, I could have made five movies. I could have made five animals, which is to me a
1: far superior film. Welcome to A Cast With No Name. We are your hosts. I'm Jay. And I'm Matt. This is episode 52. This episode, we pop our cherry as we conduct our first interview of a real life independent filmmaker. Colin Shifley. But first, don't forget to visit our website, acastwithknownname.com, where you can listen to our episode library, comment on episodes, write to our email. Plus, if you like listening to the show, please leave us a review or rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This will help our show find new listeners. So uh, as we stated, our guest tonight is independent filmmaker Colin Shifley. Since graduating in 2009 from Columbia College, Chicago, with a Bachelor of Arts in Film Directing, Colin worked on various feature films, including as a production assistant on The Dark Knight Rises, while directing several short films ranging in genres from comedy, drama, horror, fantasy, and historical. In 2014, Colin directed his first feature film, Animals, starring David Dalsmalchian, which please, Colin, correct me on <laughs> my
2: fucking good. horrible pronunciation
1: like, of names. <laughs> You're like 95% there. It's great. Awesome. (laughs) And Kim Shaw, written by Dismalchian. Animals focuses on the growing struggles of addiction of a young couple in Chicago. The film was given a special grand jury prize at the 2014 South by Southwest Film Festival while being awarded Best Director for Shifley and Best Actor for (laughs) Dismalchian. at the Midwest Independent Film Festival's BMAs in Chicago, while also taking home top prizes at the Virginia Film Festival and Chicago Critics Film Festival. Colin followed up his debut in, with 2018's All Creatures Here Below, which received a New York Times Critics pick and rave reviews from Los Angeles Times. The film stars David Smatian and Karen Gillan as a couple on the run seeking refuge in kansas city colin's most recent feature film die in a gunfight was released in 2021 distributed by lionsgate and stars diego bonita bonetta yeah bonita Bonetta, alexander dario and justin chatwin colin welcome and thank you for taking time out of your day to uh Speak with us. Absolutely.
0: Thanks
2: for having me. I love, I like to talk about movies 24 7. So I'm happy to be here. Right. So thank you. And Colin, just so you know, this is an inside joke for this podcast that uh, Jay is just notorious at fucking up names and it's <laughs> yep. not good.
1: I just go with it until I slur out some yeah. random shit that kind of sounds like English. And then we just keep moving. So
2: yeah, it's tough. Why can't they all be, why can't everyone be named Kim Shaw? Right? Yeah, uh, exactly. Shaw. One John syllable. Smith.
0: Yeah. Piece of cake. But yeah, they're always good. Even my name, Shifley, like most of the time people are like, skiffly, skiffle, shiffle, like, and I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> they can me get Colin right half the time. I'm like, come on, that's easy. Right. So
2: it's like, yeah, I think we're all used to it. So I, I think a good way to start this conversation, Colin, before we get into like uh, talking about independent filmmaking and all that good stuff, um, just growing up, what were your favorite movies and what got you into movies and all that good stuff when you were a little tyke?
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I loved, uh, me and my older brother, Brandon, we both were super like, you know, creative, love to draw, love to tell stories. And I think it all came from watching stuff like anything that was hyper creative on TV, like Pee Wee's Playhouse and, Uh. you know, Sesame Street and all those things that were just like very visual and like kind of, uh, open-minded teaching. Um, and from there it was anything with puppets and, and, Super make believe type things, you know. Uh, obviously, I know you guys. Everyone talks about like uh, you, you mentioned Back to the Future as one of your guys' favorite film. I think Jay, you said that uh, movies yeah. like that, all the, the that era of Spielberg, Zemeckis, Tim Burton, um, you know, pretty much ate that stuff up. Uh, I think I always say Empire Strikes Back to the Future is my favorite movie because I jokingly <laughs> can't decide between the two. But uh, those are yeah, the yeah. two movies that kind of I think subconsciously you know we watched all the time that and uh you know return of the jedi and anything with creatures and creature effects and uh believe it or not or not a lot of um horror movies uh you know i kind of denied it maybe in like high school and stuff like oh horror that's like lowbrow film when i was going through my pretentious film you know (laughs) uh phase but you know now looking back it's like man when we'd go to the video store it's like The first things I wanted to see were all the boxes of like Freddy Krueger and Chucky and because they were also, you know, imaginative and and interesting to look at, even though even that scary, uh, you know, weird feeling that you got when you walk down those aisles of the movies of like, oh, I can't be in this aisle. That kind of was alluring. And I think uh, that's the stuff that, you know, kind of subconsciously and consciously got me into uh, you know, just wanting to be creative and and create stuff and visually interesting stuff.
2: Yeah. Do you miss those days of walking through like aisles of like video rental stores?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. It was so great. Like all the feelings and emotions and smells and it's just, all that stuff was so tangible. And so it was so fascinating. It was like, it was like kind of walking through the internet, like before the internet was there, it was like, it was like being in it, you know, you kind of like had to go find stuff. Uh, and just see what came of it and, and a lot of weird you know you, you've stumbled upon a lot of weird cool stuff
2: right did were you ever a fan of uh fraggle rock you're talking about Puth. oh yeah. that's, that's the first thing yeah. that comes to mind love fraggle rock <laughs> anything
0: jim henson yeah anything that you know labyrinth and and dark crystal all that stuff we we'd just eat that stuff up
2: yeah we were t- I think labyrinth is one of my favorite like we need to talk about that underrated movies mm-hmm. that no one talks about Oh, yeah, it's no, good, no it's, one anymore yeah yeah yeah
0: it's a good one and it it holds up for its uniqueness oh yeah and its creativity
2: so so growing up uh did you like experiment with short films uh you were talking about like you know spielberg and that whole yeah. era where they would do they would do like you know eight millimeter films when they were like 12 or 11 did you ever dabble into that or yeah
0: yeah uh it was really around like second or third grade honestly we I remember my dad would like bring home, a you know, the big 80s VHS camera that he'd rent because oh. uh, we didn't even own it at the time at first. Uh, he would bring that home for like certain events, like a birthday party or something. And I think around like second or third grade, I, we started being like, can we like use it? Can we like play with it? And I specifically remember this. We had like a snow delay and, and we ended up getting like school off. And I had been like building, you know, I did a lot of Legos and again, anything like that you could build and be creative with. Uh, And it kind of dawned on me that I was like, well, how about instead of just like building all this, how about I film it then when it's all complete, you know, try to film something and and make a story out of it. And, you know, we we would use that camera that the old 80s VHS camera and just film terrible little stop motion kind of things. Uh, and I know a lot of directors kind of start that way, because before you realize you can film yourself and your friends, you're like, well, I'll film my toys, and you know, right. look so cool and imaginative. So that kind of started it. We, you know, I'd make little videos, and that grew to, you know, as we got older, we'd it'd be me and my brothers, and you know, we had a younger bro. We have, we have a younger brother. He's he's not in the arts. I mean, he's a, he's musical and he's got his own talents, but he he's never been like a film guy. Um, but we'd pretty much make him, you know, be in our movies because that's all we had at the time, and that kind well, always... of right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like the little brother. We always made him like play like a troll or something ridiculous, like he was always playing like the most ridiculous characters, yeah. But uh, yeah, and from there, we'd learn how to, you know, this is pretty, it's kind of frustrating now because I mean, it's cool, but uh, every, you know, everyone now we all have cameras in our HD, you know, yeah. 4K cameras in our pocket that can do everything, and. You know, we would do like the tape to tape, like I'd film myself talking to myself. You know, we learned how to, you know, I learned a lot of my editing that way, like we yeah. just hook up two VCRs and, and try to create something out of it.
2: And that was just something you wanted to do, right? It wasn't anything, like did you ever have, like when you were a second grader or a third grader, like I'm gonna, this is what I'm doing, I'm gonna get paid to do I mean, this when I get older.
0: <laughs> I, I not, not I thought that like acting was maybe like, Like, cause that's the, you saw the actors. So I was like, no, they're the one, like, that's what I'm going to do. But in my, I didn't realize that it it was the, you know, the compiling it all together that I was loving. Like that was the stuff I didn't even care about being on the camera. I just was like one to film everything. And, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of just assumed like, that's what I was going to do. Like, I didn't know how to get there. No one in my family, like, you know, my parents, you know we were raised normal like not that this isn't normal but you know very like uh they were very encouraging of you know the arts and stuff like our luckily our uh you know I think our kindergarten teacher was like these guys like you need to like put them in classes like to keep exploring some of the stuff because it's not just like oh finger painting for fun like every kid does like we were like kind of obsessive over it you're advanced.
2: Um, you guys are like Stephen Hawking of, of finger painting. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> Drawing dinosaurs and you know yeah. all that cool stuff. Uh, but luckily, yeah, people. No one was ever discouraging. Like my parents, and I, like everyone was always like, "All right, like right. we'll figure it out one step at a time." You know, I guess. Um, I assume that maybe they thought I would end up like you know filming local news or you know working you know as a graphic designer or something like that Um, sure which was all you know there's definitely all options that were kind of in the back of my mind but uh i don't know i just never wavered from just gonna keep going gonna keep the next step is whatever because to me i was gonna do it (laughs) anyways. right like okay even if i was doing something else i'm gonna be filming something on the weekend or something because it's fun to me
2: right well, I think it was, uh, Robin Williams, when he accepted his Oscar, it said, uh, his dad told him that that's great, but have a backup profession like welding. <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. I think I remember that. I mean, it, and it's true. Like, you know, it's like, I mean, nowadays, I don't know. Cause there's so many, everyone's getting f- famous yeah. and doing all these crazy things. And, you know, you can just sit in your basement and start up a podcast or whatever it is. We kind of have our yep. platforms that we can go that could that it could either take off or even if they don't, it's not like you're not succeeding if you're enjoying it, you know and and doing it and uh, so it's it's different now, I guess, but um
1: yeah, it's yeah. a whole lot different. I mean because even uh, me and my friends we used to make instead of writing term papers in history class, we would do videos and like daisy chaining computers and VCRs together to try and make an edit because we didn't have a video toaster that was $10,000 and the size of a Buick sitting <laughs> yes. in our basement. <laughs> we had to get creative, either shoot things in order or, or whatever. But it was definitely before nonlinear editing. But we were at the age that it um, it was just kind of coming into play because I remember, as, I think it was my senior year, uh, we got an iMac and it had oh, yeah. an iMovie on it. And that oh, was the yeah. first time we experienced nonlinear editing and it blew our minds yeah. to, as far as what you could do. And I remember being uh, at that age, thinking, man, I wish I had this much money so I could go out and buy this and then I could just make movies. And now you have all that technology literally on your phone yeah. and everyone has it and everyone's exposed to it. Like my buddy's daughters, Make their own short films on their iPad that they get from really? school. At, yeah. And they're eight years old, 10 years old. And yeah. the amount of technology that everyone what has. What am I right doing with is, my kids? I know. <laughs> they're, they're just consuming the content. Just consuming the content. Man.
0: Consuming. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's so crazy how, I mean, I'm glad that we kind of learned that, you know, the disciplined version of it. But, and I'm sure to them, you know, that they're, it's still discipline to them to have to sit and figure all the, the tools out and, and, and I'm sure, the you know, obviously the people before us who are splicing film together are like, come on, you can like just plug yeah. a VCR in or whatever, like. Uh, you don't have to uh,
1: develop it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. So it's always each generation has their thing. But you're right. We were like in that weird, we have a foot in both worlds kind of uh, mm-hmm. where, where we got to see the, the kind of consumer version of those coming into play
2: where we could actually get our hands on it and do some nonlinear editing and all that. So. So, Colin, what was the moment, so you're in high school, you decided to go to college, mm-hmm. is that when you mm-hmm. decided, yeah, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to, you know, it's soup soup to nuts, balls to the wall, I'm going to be a filmmaker?
0: Is yeah, it- I think it was really like, because I think senior year, I kind of became known as like, in at, at Carroll High School as like the video guy, the movie guy, so like, because I was always making okay. I was always making movies and by then I was getting all my friends involved and we all were like, Hey, on a Saturday, let's go shoot this war movie. Let's go do this thing. Let's, you know, I was always making something and I started doing a lot of like, you know, the student council videos and the campus life videos. And I was like the go-to and just like you, Jay, like I was, would do like a English project and I'd be like, can I like, instead of writing a paper, can I like film for the weekend? Uh, and teachers were always like, yeah, go for it. And I actually, you know, they took it seriously and let me do that stuff and, and What's funny is I probably spent more time doing that than I would have if I would have just written a paper, but I, you know, but I enjoyed the process more. But um, yeah, I think it was senior year that I kind of, being having like people come to you and be like, hey, we need this Campus Life video, we need this thing, or someone outside of school being like, there's a wedding, you know, I started realizing, like, wow, I can probably make a living. At least it seemed like it, it seemed accessible. Right. So yeah, it was that transition into, okay, well, where am I going to college? And for me, I just knew you know, there's a lot of good, all, you know, pretty much all my friends were either going to like IU or Purdue or, or Huntington. And, uh, and it felt like for me, I was like, I, if I'm going to take this seriously and eventually end up in LA, I needed to kind of, I branch needed out. the big, yeah, I needed to branch out. It wasn't <clears> even <throat> just the school. It was the, 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 like going to a Chicago type place sure. to push myself. And we're lucky that Chicago's so close. Cause I kind of, yeah. again, had both I, I felt like I was in the big city and being thrown into the chaos, but I also could just come home, th- you know, three hours away. And, yeah, it's yeah, right there. You know. Yeah, smart. So, yeah, so it was a good stepping stone.
1: Awesome. What, uh, when you, I mean, so you chose Columbia College. What do you feel that was the most important thing that you learned while attending that school that you ended up using later on uh, in your profession? Good question. I feel like it's it's kind of like learning how to
0: communicate with all different types of people maybe. Cause it was a very diverse school and you know, that was exciting, but also it's challenging cause you get a lot of different personalities and kind of realizing that, you know, you have to let go of that. Like I want to do everything, which we can, a lot of us, you know, again, like we said with technology and stuff, you d- maybe it's cut out a lot of people and you can do a lot of it yourself. And, uh, and that's great, but kind of forcing yourself to learn how to, collaborate with people and properly collaborate and, and letting go of the wheel a little and then trusting that that person is obsessed with wardrobe, like trust their understanding of wardrobe, trust their understanding of lighting, you know, and it kind of takes some pressure off of you. And and so it was kind of a, I feel like that was my biggest takeaway, um, kind of letting go of some of that angst of like, I wanna do it all and and you, you can still do that, but, but you know, meeting cool people who can do it better than you. Um, I wish I could go back if I were to go back and be like, well, we'll focus more on this. I kind of would probably take the I took all the classes that I was interested in, like directing and, you know, that's great and all. But I kind of wish I would have taken the ones I wasn't interested in, like production management and producing, Uh like the things that I hated because I hate the calling up vendors and learn, you know, all the logistical stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like that's the stuff I learned the hard way once I came out to L.A., being thrust into it, like because you don't get to do the creative you know, ever, like I, I'm on set doing creative stuff so few you know times, and it's like, but there's always need for someone to make phone calls and, and make connections and network and stuff.
2: Right, and this is a question I wanted to ask you, con before I forget, because mm-hmm. I've gotten so many different answers. Uh, what does a producer actually do on a movie? What is uh, their, you know, for, in your in your estimation, what is their main purpose? <laughs>
0: I mean, man, I love and hate producers. Uh, if any of them are listening, I, I, they know this. I, uh, they, well, they produce, they try to produce, they, they, they make things happen. They, okay, okay. Of course, they don't always have the, you know, the creative in the story in mind. Obviously, you have a creative producer that's kind of maybe more your wingman or woman who's helping you make the, you know, it's like, okay, we need a giant club scene here and, and well let's be realistic do we want to blow all the money on the club or do you want to cut corners over here or they have someone who's like keeping you know walking you know walking hand in hand with you because they're looking at the numbers but then you have like the line producers and the producers who are literally just only looking at the numbers and they kind of <laughs> have this car salesman vibe about them that are like they pat you on the back and like, oh, you're doing great, but don't you, this is better. And you realize like, they're not your friend. They just want to save a thousand dollars. They're
1: that devil on your
0: shoulder. That's just waiting. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and it's fine. I'm used to it. But for me, you know, I've, I've always had pretty good experience with producers, but, uh, it's just funny how Everyone has something else in mind, whether it's the end result of the film or what the goal of the film is beyond just the creative and, and you know getting it sold and distributed. And it's kind of yeah, you gotta kind of read everyone's thoughts and read between the lines and, and you know you have a lot of different producers. My last movie literally had like 38 producers on it, which is ridiculous. And I mean, I, didn't even, I, hadn't, I hadn't even met some of them uh, because it's just people who either give a little money here or give some, you know, make something happen over here. Uh, and they want their name on the, you know, on the, in the credits. And it's, it's like, uh it's fine. But I get, so, I'm like, I don't even care about credits. I just want to make the movie. Like, like let's just right. focus on the movie. But like, that's the last thing you talk about for some reason when you're in these meetings with producers, like you're not even talking about the story ever. You're always just talking about, you know, does it check off this box or that box or whatever?
2: Right. And I, I don't want to derail the... and and down in this wormhole too much, so I'll just ask one more thing. Is that all it Uh, takes, Colin, to get credit as a producer, is to make something happen? And what does that even mean? Does it mean like? I mean, pretty much. Honestly, yeah, like,
0: especially on independent films, because, you know, suddenly you're like, man, we need that special spot to film or we need like the camera for a week longer. We can't, we can't afford it. Ah, so okay. like right. we know, well, we we'll, like, we know the, the guy who's gonna hook us up with that girl who has that equipment. So if they're going to do it for free, okay give them a they might want a producer credit and some all of them right, are like eh, some right. people just don't care about that but some people specifically want that and it's just sure, like that's sure. so weird you know so, so like,
1: entourage is 100 percent accurate <laughs> in that standpoint like oh just give them an executive producer credit and then a no show yep absolutely
0: thing. that's that's pretty much my experience at least how it is
1: cool that's funny yeah so uh of the three kind of leaning on the producing side of it and talking about budgets and all that stuff. Of your three feature films that you've done, Animals, All Creatures Here Below, and Die in a Gunfight. I mean, I'm assuming each one of those progressed a little bit in budget. What was the budget for each of those, if you don't mind saying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's nice that they're all out. I can like talk about that now. When when I'm doing these interviews, like when the movies are coming out, it's always kind of weird. Like I'm like, am I allowed to say yet? Like you know, because yeah. we're still mm-hmm. selling it. And all. now it's like I'm like I'm so. That's what I was telling my brother this earlier. I was like, I can finally kind of be candid with some of this stuff, because uh, I don't have a movie coming out right now. Uh, but yeah, each one is kind of um, grown in size. You know, that's kind of my plan. to Just keep getting bigger and bigger, hopefully, to you know to some degree. And my first one, animals, was we shot it for a hundred and eighty thousand. And we raised a little more, up to uh, just a little past 200,000 for post production. So, you know, about 200,000 total to make that movie. Uh, and then All Creatures Here Below was 1.2 million, which, you know, was a great jump. That was kind of like my goal to make like, you know, a million dollar film <coughs> and, and see what that experience was like. And we can get into that. Like, kind of, it's funny how it's a huge difference, but at the same time, you know, I remember three weeks into shooting All Creatures Here Below thinking like, where's the, I don't see it on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I would almost rather it be a $200,000 film because I had so much more freedom, that run and gun feel of being creative and just filming everything. It, it felt like <clears throat> 1.2 million was just checking it again, checking off boxes and making sure we had like a proper, you know, trailer for the people, which I get, I get to some degree why we need a little bit of comfort and you don't want to be putting people through the ringer and you know all that stuff too hard, but like, yeah. So each one that was 1.2, and then uh, dying a gunfight was 4.5 million. Um, and again, you you can see if you if if you didn't like know that if you watch the movies, I think you can kind of see the where it's yeah. being spent.
1: And I, um, <clears throat> you're you're knocking out all these questions that I already had ahead of time for you. <laughs> cool, you, no, you that's great. About, you talked a little bit about. Uh, the added freedom that you had doing a two hundred thousand. I was going to say that. Is there some freedoms that you have at lower budgets that you don't have necessarily? I mean, I imagine creative control, the smaller the budget, the more control you have. But are there also I mean, obviously some benefits as far as um, I mean, I noticed I noticed a, I mean, between all creatures here below and uh, animals. I didn't notice so much of a jump as I did between uh, All Creatures Here Below and Die in a Gunfight. That sure. was night and day because I feel like you you did a lot of handheld, a lot of steady cam with the first two features, and then you went into more crane dolly and stabilized shots to where it yep. felt, I guess, a little bit more, po- not polished, but structured. Yeah. structured. Yeah. And sure. um, to where that I can tell. But I mean, so a little bit more creative freedom with the lower budget with a larger budget, was there some trade-offs there? Like, what did you enjoy with the larger budget? I mean, sure. was it just cooler toys that you could play with, more time maybe, or was was it just kind of more added stress as far as,
0: sure. because um, you had
1: 38 producers?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, no, that's a great question, and it's something I have I constantly am just thinking about when I'm laying in bed at night, when I'm frustrated, or whatever it is, when I'm happy about something. It's, it always comes back to that, uh, like, you know, how far, you know, would I people ask, would I ever go do like a two hundred thousand dollar film again? And I would say absolutely, because to me, the freedom that we had, because it's like nobody cared. It felt exactly like it did in high school where we just had all our stuff. You know, we at least had a camera that looked good. We had great actors. We had the city of Chicago as our backdrop, you know, uh, we, we, we had enough to make it feel like at least like a solid indie movie. And, that, and it, it lent itself to, you know, the movie itself is a gritty kind of that handheld true sure. running around on, mm-hmm. you know, sweaty, uh, grimy world. So mm-hmm. it, it fit the aesthetic. Uh, so I got to lean into that. But at the same time, you know, All Creatures Here Below was the same kind of aesthetic and, and whatnot. So it's like, man, we had six times the budget. You would think. Maybe we'd have more days. Maybe we'd have more time. And it, we didn't. We actually had less days on All Creatures Here Below than we did huh. on animals. Animals was 23 days. I think All Creatures was 19. Uh, the lux- the only luxury was, you know, and, and this is great, like I didn't get paid on animals. I put some of my own money into that. And and we all kind of did it for like, you know, essentially $100 a day sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tons of favors. The exhaustion of running around, like just being like, can we get a church? Can we get a you know, this car and you're kind of just wheeling and dealing and it definitely spreads you thin. Like it, it takes your, it divides your mind from the creative a little too much Mm because you're, you're just hustling. Um, but at the same time, like you just have absolute freedom and you're kind of fearless because you're doing all this stuff, just, you know, rolling up your sleeves and doing it. Whereas on all creatures here below, you know, I got paid a little and everyone got paid what they should be getting paid. And, you know, not like million, Like we had Karen Gillan, who you know, on she's on Juman, she went from Jumanji to our movie. Like she she agreed to do it for scale and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you're still getting favors pulled and whatnot, but it just felt like almost there's more pressure because, yeah, you suddenly have a trailer that costs so much a day to house the actors, and you and you're like, gosh, we got to get this shot because that trailer needs to be at the next location by this time, and and then jumping to die in a gunfight. I think one of the biggest frustrations is I never felt like I didn't have creative control. Like, this is what's interesting. Our whole lives we hear these stories about fighting for your creative control. And I think that happens in the studio level, obviously, you know, when you're hearing about George Lucas, you know, and whoever who had all all these great movies. The classics are always the ones where the executives are pretty much saying no to them and they say they fight anyways and then they make this amazing movie. It's right. like, I think those things are happening because they're making decisions on that commercial level and, and they need to, you know, appeal to the masses and whatnot. I feel like I, I thought I was going to be having, uh, you know, for all these years, I thought I was going to be having those battles. And for me, like on Dying a Gunfight, having more money, the battles weren't that. I still had my creative control. The battles were just like, you're, you're just spending so much money a day. You know, I think we were spending like 200000 a day or something crazy where I was like, wow. this is, it. you just feel it bleed. The money's just going to the cranes and the toys and all the things that look cool. But I'm like, I'd rather, I could have made five movies. I could have made five animals, mm-hmm. which is to me a far superior film, leagues above Dying Gunfight. I could have made five of them, you know, for the price of one. And yeah, it was cool. We got to, it's always fun to have You know, a bunch of talented cast and crew around you doing this great stuff, but when you're making decisions so fast and you have to move these masses of people, to you know, it's like putting a, it's like doing having a wedding. Like you have, you want everything to go right. It's all leading up to that day. You're planning and 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 you're you're trying to check off everything, but you know, you don't. Then it rains or whatever. You got to, you just got to go with the flow and figure it out. The difference, you know with a movie compared to a wedding is that there's, you know, 23 days in a row that everything has to go right. And you have all these things coming together Mm -hmm. and gunfight. There were just so many moving parts and you're laying the tracks down. Yes. Great. Yes. That's a great metaphor. That's exactly what it is. And having that freedom of like, Oh, we don't have money anyways. And we're just winging it and we're just getting the sunrise while we're doing the scene versus that crane has to go back. This actor gets on a plane tomorrow. We have like, eight pages to shoot, you know, it's not the luxury of, you know, you hear someone talk on the bigger, on a bigger film. And it's like, man, they have like a hundred days to shoot though. They, they, half the movies that we see are reshot. Like they, like 50 to 70% of our shot, they just go fix it. If the scene's not working, you just go shoot it again. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it costs them a fortune, but uh, there's another good phrase that I'm going to butcher it, but it's like never enough money, now, but always enough money to reshoot it. It's like we, we don't have money to do it right the first time, but we always have enough money to go fix it later. It's like, well, why didn't we just do it right the first time? And right. it's because you have all the pieces, and you know, if you're you don't want your actor to go off on some other show that, and then you won't be able to get them to come back to do reshoots. Right. So in indie movies, you kind of got you're stuck with what you got, and on dying a gunfight, like we didn't have the luxury of just. You know, I love just the film and roll and roll and roll as much as you can. And just you just Mm kind of getting it almost in a documentary style. Whereas on Gunfight, I, you know, I had all the movies storyboarded, but I feel like I really had to stick to like we only had those two shots and that's all we got. We didn't get any other coverage of it. And that's what you get.
1: I was going to that kind of goes into the other question, which um, I was going to ask about your preparation to where because some of um, I, I make stupid videos for my job. Uh, every <laughs> sure, once in a sure. while. so I very rarely story, the only time I storyboard is, and I stick figures and it looks God awful, but, um, the only time Anything I do helps. that is usually when I'm like crunched for time. Um, yeah, and then, but if it's up to me, I try and shoot whatever I can. And then that way I just have better to have it not need it, need it, not have it kind of a thing, especially yep. with digital that then I can just kind of pick things. And because when I edit something, it's usually. Oh, I wish I had this which I can go out and get an additional shot if I need it but most of the time I chewed enough anyways that sure I can kind of work through but do you prefer preparing like what do you like to prepare for a yeah shoot? I mean obviously yeah. it depends on budget with your storyboard and everything do you prefer that or do you prefer the other way as far as kind of going with the flow and seeing what happens and finding happy mistakes
0: yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a little of both. Like, I definitely still prepare like crazy. Like, every one of the movies, I drew every single storyboard. Like, on Dying the Gunfight, I literally drew, like, 750 storyboards. And a lot of that is the luxury of time trying to get a movie going once you're trying to raise the money it takes like three years so in that process I'm slowly just whittling away you know I start with the important scenes that I need to articulate clearly like an action scene or something like a plot scene or something and then I kind of just by the end I somehow have them all done or they get a little rougher around the edges you know as I get to the end but uh, Mm -hmm. I like to have them all as prepared as possible so that on the day we can we have that like we can start from there and then if something like you said capturing a Happy accident, or lightning in a bottle, or throwing it out completely, and be like, you know what? Like, I had these three shots. We can nail it in this awesome one shot, and then yeah, I'll get some coverage. And uh, we actually, Die in a Gunfight was the first movie where I had two cameras, so we were able to kind of, um, yeah. not the whole time, but we had for selective, you know, sequences, we were able to kind of have another camera just picking off different beats and making sure we were getting close-ups of like objects and people picking up objects, and knowing that we had that extra stuff for editing was very comforting but I'd rather just have one camera and be running around rolling and rolling like crazy and just getting Mm -hmm. as much as we can.
1: So did you have a second unit on Die in a Gunfight or was it mainly Um, you were still there, you just had a second camera operator kind of picking up some stuff while you guys were getting the main hero shots?
0: Yeah, it was that. It was was some of the, we had a second camera because there was a couple sequences where there's big party scenes and we just knew we needed to kind of have a second Mm -hmm. camera just picking up Mm -hmm. beats because we wouldn't have time to cover like every single character in the sequence. And that was my challenge on that movie is learning how to not just have two or, two or three people in a scene, having like six people in a scene and knowing how to, it's like, it's funny. And I say this humbly, but like, let's say in theory, I can, I can do that, you know, we can all do that. We can sit there and see every angle and understand how I'm gonna cover it. But then on the day of the chaos of it all and everyone chiming in, and it's just like crazy how you have to just clear your, you have to like tune everything out. You have to listen to people, but also, Learn to be like, it doesn't matter if you're a genius. It's like how well you can communicate to everyone to either right. shut up or or agree
2: with them. Right. Um Yeah. So And then so and Colin, you, you shot that during like the whole COVID thing. So is that another reason why it was difficult to kind of get yeah. everyone in line? Did you have to follow guidelines and stuff that normally you wouldn't we, have to?
0: Well, we actually finished the principal photography before covid hit but we we had just started editing and i had this whole master plan in my mind of how to like not fix things but kind of in my mind kind of get footage i was just going to be like hey we're just going to go film this a bunch of stuff you know kind of as a second unit kind of skeleton crew and kind of patch together what i was not liking about what we shot and then covid hit so i was like great we can't do any of that so i had to like really (laughs) figure out how to fix it but um the real complications from dying a gunfight really came from we are. It was supposed to be twice the budget. It was supposed to be like eight to ten million, and oh. I was on. I was literally on the ground in Toronto with the impression that it was eight million, and like five weeks out, it got cut in half. So that we were like deleting scenes from the script. You know, with, luckily I had the writers there with me. They and we were all game to just. We could have just like pulled out and be like, well, now we're just not going to make the movie at all, or you know, it already been at this point, like six years in the making. So I was like, I'm not gonna, Uh. I was like, I would rather have a a terrible, I mean, it's crazy. It's kind of like a sellout moment, but I was like, I, I, I'm here. We're all here. I'd rather have like a, it might turn out terrible, but it's going to be an experience and it's going to be a movie and it's going to be, you know, something's going to come of it. And my goal at that point was to obviously make something decent, but like also just learn and get the movie distributed by, the biggest distributor that we could, at least to my, in my career, to date. So, you know, that was my goal.
2: So that's interesting, so Die a Gunfight was written as like an eight to nine million dollar movie and sorta of greenlit as that, and then it got cut yeah. in half. Yeah, like uh, okay. five,
0: we- right. five weeks out. It was, I mean, it was brutal. Like, just getting, like a lot of the movie to me doesn't fully come together right, like, because the subplots, what I loved about the movie was all the subplots. At these mm. cool, intricate, very clever, cleverly written um, subplots. And we kind of just cut them all out. They're there, but they kind of don't make sense. And they're kind of just like a backdrop. And it's fine because, again, it's a it's kind of a teen, young adult, you know, action romance. So it's like you can lean on that and be like, oh, look at the colors. It's like eye candy for young people and loud music. and Which was the point anyways. But I just miss the nuance. We, we All the nuance got kind of in, in one swift stroke got taken away.
1: Right. So you said the Dying a Gunfight was six years in the making and were you attached to the story from the very beginning or how did you come across it? How did you guys find financing for it? Because it got greenlit, but it's still technically an independent film where there's smaller production houses helping you. Like how did could you kind of walk us through that process as far as what happened in those six years?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny. I got all creatures here below and die in a gunfight at the same time. Uh, Literally, I think I read both scripts like the same weekend Uh, because we had come off of the, you know, kind of the success, I guess, of animals, you know, South by Southwest, that kind of opened the door. That was just us piecing together friends and family, anything we could get, scraping money together, just trying to make it happen. Uh, South by Southwest happened, which was huge for for me, just getting me an agent and getting kind of that credibility to be now be in a room and with smaller production companies and, and, you know, have that representation. So all creatures, Dave was like David DeSmolchen, by the way, close to small DeSmolchen. I got it. Now. You just, you got it. You were basically there, You say say it all together fast. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Dave, uh, he had done a great job, obviously on animals, writing animals and being in it, but also help, you know, us teaming up, getting it done was, went so well that we were like, let's go do another one. And so he had written that and I read that script and I was like, okay, this is kind of like a a sibling to animals. It's like our spiritual sequel. And, and I was like, of course I want to do this. Let's figure out how to get the money. And that was another thing of like, instead of piecing money together, we were like, okay, let's get a producer. Let's get some serious producers who are doing some cool stuff, who would Mm -hmm. be interested in tackling this with us and just trying to let, let's use their connections to get, you know, a money person. And we luckily, you know, found uh, a really cool producer that wanted to help get the movie made and help, you know, get us the money. And that kind of just happened overnight in a way, uh, which was crazy. Like that hasn't happened since. It was literally just suddenly we had $1.2 million, like in the bank account. And I was like, this is crazy. I could just take this and run away, Uh, which would be, you know, you have those crazy thoughts. of like, I've never seen this number in a bank account. (laughs) You'd be like
1: another local hero that just recently was arrested from Hollywood.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes. So I'm so glad I I saw both roads and I went the other way. There you go. but you're right that story's crazy doing
2: animals and having that in the bag did did it make it easier to get funding for your next one yes
0: absolutely that was one of the key things like doing animals it was like me with short films and saying hey i went to columbia it was hard because we were like we had nothing we had nothing to prove we had just be like hey luckily the story was so good and the story was a true story and you know it had all those pieces that it was like hey we're passionate about this we want to do this but all creatures yeah it was like because we had a movie to show and we had some, you know, some of the accolades and stuff, it was like, cool. These guys know what they're doing. Maybe they can do it again. All right. And then gun. That's where David again. He always jokes he should be my manager because he he has he has such great connections. He's an actor and he's he's good in a room and he's a you know he's amazing sure. and and he has got that charisma that whereas when I'm in a room I'm all like fumbly and I talk with my hands <laughs> and I'm like what, what is this guy talking about. Uh, Talking about the creative, of course, and they don't want to hear that. They want to hear like numbers and money, and you know who's going to be in the movie. Um, and so, anyways, Gunfight uh, was came about from Dave was working on Ant-Man uh, as an actor in it, and he had yeah. met a couple of the writers. You know, those movies all obviously all have like 20 people writing on them, uh, and he got to know <laughs> two of the two on-set writers who were there, like kind of making the decisions on set. Um, Andrew and Gabe are uh, their names they they had written gunfight a few years before that um, and that was kind of the the script that gotten their foot in the door like a while back and Basically, they were like uh, got to know Dave and Dave showed him animals and they were like well What is this director doing like would he want to read our you know? We're trying to get a director attached to this and so I remember Dave Yeah, gave me all creatures and then also was like hey and you should meet these guys They have a script so I read that script and so to me, it was like, well, whichever one goes first, I'll do. And what's funny is, you know, six years later, Die in a Gunfight was made. But three years later, from that point, All Creatures was made. So All Creatures got made first, but I was kind of prepping both. You know, there'd be a month where one was go- seemed like it was going, and I'd work more on that. And then suddenly the other nah. one would start going, and I'd work more on that. And ultimately, I think All Creatures came together faster just because it was smaller. You know smaller budget and we kind of were just right. repeating what we did um whereas gunfight i had to jump through a lot of hoops meeting like like higher up producers and yeah production companies that where the money was going to be coming from um and they you know we were kind of put through the ringer being brought to different locations you know every year i swear i was in a i, I went to romania once where we were going to film like we were set on romania then we were set on montreal then we were set on toronto then it, then it was chicago and then it was back to toronto and it was just like a, a circus of chaos. Uh, Jeez, what was, to, the, uh, what
2: was the what was the pre production budget on this thing? <laughs>
0: I that, well, see, this is that's a great question, and this is the hardest part I think about making it or continuing to do you know work in this business is there's no money until the movie starts filming. Right. So like I obviously got paid the best I've been paid ever on Dying a Gunfight. And it, it was awesome, but I didn't see a dime until literally we were shooting. Like, so it's like, you're doing all this free work and yeah, luckily I didn't pay out of pocket to do, to go to these, you know, to go to Toronto to check it out for a couple of weeks and meet the, the local film office. Like luckily there's money coming from somewhere there, usually from a producer's pocket, knowing that they were probably gonna get reimbursed. But um, yeah, otherwise you're just kind of doing everything. For, you kind of jump when, when they say jump and you're, you're until it all comes together.
2: So does uh, Des Malchin get what is it ten percent, fifteen percent? Is that the manager's cut?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's usually ten percent. Uh, luckily, he doesn't take it. I, I uh, help in other ways, I guess. I'm, they have like kids. I'm, he's like one of my best friends. So like him and his wife, we're all hang out, and I'm the weird uncle that comes over and hangs out with his kids, and you know, d- plays video games with them. So that's that's their payment.
2: <laughs> that's cool. Um, payment enough.
1: <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> really quick. I mean, if Uh, to our listeners, our tens of listeners. Yes. Um, (laughs) If you haven't watched them already, uh, watch animals came out in 2014. It's currently streaming on Pluto TV and Tubi. Yep. Uh, Watch um, all creatures here below. Uh, Be happy before you start that movie, but (laughs) watch that. That is all that's streaming, I believe, on Prime. I th- yeah, I think Primer so. Hulu. One of the two. Yeah. And then yeah. in a Gunfight is on Primer Hulu, one of the other. Yep. One. So you yep. can find them streaming. Go watch them, then come back and listen to this. So that way you have some kind of frame of reference uh, to this, because it'll just make it a lot more interesting. Right. Plus, in case we get into spoiler territory. Sure. later Sure.
2: Yes. And I, mm. I actually watched All Creatures Here Below on Tubi as well. Yeah. OK.
1: Oh, cool. The, cool. OK, good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there's <clears throat> there's a story that uh, Billy Bob Thornton told was the reason why he wrote sling blade is because he wanted an acting opportunity Ah. Mm -hmm. and the person told him well if you want an acting opportunity write something for yourself and then act in it so he wrote sling blade
2: right
1: Um, Mm -hmm. is that the reason why david dasmachian or dasmachian Jesus, yeah, Dude, you are you are on I another level it. with this. You're there. Um, you're there. That's I'm it. having a stroke. I'll get it right sometime. Is that, was that kind of the um, the driving point, uh, force of him writing that? Or was it more of a story internally that he had to get out kind of a thing? And I I know you're kind of speaking for him. And sure, kind of sure, instance, sure. But I was curious about that because I, I mean, I know him first and foremost as an actor. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing him when I saw The Dark Knight. And he played one of Joker's henchmen. Yeah. And I remember him and his face stuck out to me because he is a very interesting looking person. Like he just yep. has a very unique look. And um, I mean, his short performance was phenomenal, mm-hmm. but until yeah. that point, it wasn't until I think Ant Man and then Suicide, I mean, and then it just started sure. all coming out to where animals with the time that it came out, I was wondering to where if he was kind of driven to kind of give himself something to act in and then pulled you in because you'd already been working with him on several short films prior.
0: Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely it. I mean, he he's I think first and foremost an actor, but he's a he's a great writer and he has he's just full of stories that are both, you know, fantastical stories and interesting stories that he hasn't gotten to yet and part of just his identity of what he likes and, and enjoys, but then also mm-hmm. he's he's just He's got a, a, a multitude of just like heavy things from his life that he's been wanting to express. And mm-hmm. I know he always talks about the whole like, you know, write what you know sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and right. he that's how he started. But I, I think there's obviously a little bit, you know, the performer in him and he's a very theatrical, like kind of performance driven person, even in real life. That's, I love his, his branding of who, what, how he approaches life. It's very theatrical and over the top. And I, so I think naturally, yeah, uh, in the back of his head, you know, uh, doing kind of that sling blade approach of, of writing something for him where he can be the lead and, and still embody it. And maybe it's not the traditional lead, but it's something unique and interesting and where he can transform himself. And I think especially with, you know, well, with animals is obviously Based on true elements of his life, and and I think ha- him and I having worked together enough, and him getting to know me on a level of trust to t- tackle that movie, you know, telling an honest story that's that's very heavy in a world that I knew nothing of other than what I saw in like, you know, Requiem for a Dream and things, you know, movies. Yeah. yeah. It's like or oh, Train Spotting or whatever. It's like okay, how do we do our own thing and make our own version of this? And and I think he knew that I was, I took this all really seriously, and and we had that honest connection but yeah i think part of it is yeah him mm-hmm. getting to transform and i i love seeing actors transform and character actors especially like i hate typecasting even though sometimes it's great because those actors are great at whatever that thing is and dave gets typecast a lot as the weird guy who gets kidnapped or the you know he's sure the, he's the creepy dude or he's the the joker's henchman or whatever it is but you know, I full well always know that, you know, he can embody like any character if he wants to. And, and that's what I think is exciting about the stuff that he writes for himself. And he also knows that he can step back. You know, we had that discussion, like, should he play Jensen in All Creatures Here Below? Does he fit this? And I mm-hmm. wanted, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's shave your head and do something weird and, you know, right. change your clothes and do something crazy. Gain, Have him gain weight. Uh, but we still, you know... He's open to as a right. He can he can separate, you know, those that the the writer and the actor uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of and decide if it's right or not.
1: That that kind of goes into my next question, because um, which I love his walk and all creatures yeah. here below. <laughs> I, um, uh-huh. I, I just like nice touch, like very few times do I notice people changing their gait uh, as yeah. far as a character. Um, I just like that touch that he added. But with animals and all creatures, Um, both written by David and he's your your lead actor in both films like do you have were there certain challenges or opportunities with your lead actor also being the writer that you kind of had to navigate even though you guys are great friends and all that stuff but what are some of the challenges and opportunities working in a relationship like that to where your lead actor is also the creator of the story as opposed to Die in a Gunfight where Diego Bonita is Benita is your um Lead actor, but didn't birth the story.
0: Right. Yeah. That was my biggest fear going into Animals, especially aside from it being my first movie and the fact that it was such a heavy movie and based on his life, like all these factors. I was like, great, this is going to, this is a recipe for a train wreck if, you know, if it all falls apart because it's so personal. And luckily, it's funny. Dave, once we get on set, he kind of becomes. He's in actor mode the whole time, and he has full trust. What's great is he doesn't want to be a director, and he he says that a lot. Like he doesn't necessarily, he just doesn't look at the look at material that way, and doesn't that approach isn't kind of his mindset. Uh, so when we're on set, luckily he was full actor mode, and he trusted kind of you know where we were going with it, and I think we had talked it to death so much leading up to it that once we were filming. A lot of those things that had already been ironed out, like things that we wanted to avoid or things that we didn't see eye to eye on. We kind of knew where, you know, we had a frame of reference of how far to go and how where not to go. Um, but yeah, he's able to separate himself. And on all creatures, literally, we had no issues, no fights. We, we I think we fought like one time, you know, like a brotherly type, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. something stupid. Whereas oh, on animals, right. we were kind of at each other's throats a lot, uh, in, again, in a very constructive way. Sure, um, But... On all creatures, I think we we knew it. Our, we had everything down. We had our secondhand, you know, language. We right. he he especially separated himself from the material. I feel like on that one, but it's great to have him right there when you're like, Dave, this isn't working. Whoa, as the writer, you how, how would you fix this? Or as the actor, you how would you look at this sequence and fix this? And to have him right there. Uh, Whereas on, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no.
2: Oh no, I was the, when you when you mentioned that uh, all creatures. Did he have, in animals are sort of semi-autobiographical, was mm-hmm. All Creatures, was that, I don't think that was semi-autobiographical. So was there a difference in the way you two worked with each other, Him, you know, with animals it being like, he's experienced some of these things with an All Creatures yeah. Here Below, I don't think he actually experienced that, but.
0: Yeah, it, it was more just his viewpoint growing up in Kansas City, maybe. So I know he experienced it as an, you know, some of the heavy themes he had experienced. Mm-hmm on all creatures not quite as literal as yeah animals sure. and i think that did help on all creatures to be able to look at it more as a movie with a little more of a plot like it had gotcha. you know had like movie plot points happen it in did. that movie that are you know yeah. we're like okay like that probably wouldn't happen that way whereas on animals a lot more just we're kind of following these guys around and yeah things happen but uh yep. it's it's yeah i feel like because it had more of that movie-ish quality we wanted to feel real and organic and gritty and natural but at the same time we were able to kind of distance ourselves from that such a personal thing so it made it uh, it felt a little different in that way um but on gunfight yeah it was full like movie like the whole point of that movie which again if you read like critics and stuff (laughs) their thoughts on the movie and whatnot it's it's frustrating because it's funny how 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 much of the point was missed in terms of like maybe this is me being like too into myself and like you know we grew up watching directors who they have such a you see their work and their progression in their work and I've kind of starting to break that I'm trying to get rid of that thought process of like it doesn't work that way anymore we can't necessarily be a PT Anderson where you see how everyone or yeah. whoever Scorsese or whoever uh to me it's almost more like well why why don't just make a bunch of things and some stuff's gonna be cool some's gonna be different but for me, I wanted gunfight to be almost a mockery of like all that stuff. You know, it's kind of this tongue in cheek. Mm. It's not if, if let's say I was fam- Let's say my first two movies were big movies, but filmed exactly how they were. You know, if someone were to review my body of work, they, I think they would know that clearly gunfight is a different style compared to the other two. Whereas my my true style and what I want to do, the look is really animals and all creatures. Gunfight is, was supposed to be kind of this dual movie happening, where there's like this gritty part and then this kind of polished part happening at the same time. Like Ben's movie, the you know Diego, his character, the lead, you know, through his eyes he sees his movie as this kind of Tarantino-y, flashy, you know, Romeo and Juliet kind of world, whereas, you know. That's just the way he sees it. That's not that's, you know, that's me directing it through his character's eyes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that got lost in in how uh, a long story. But uh, but yeah, to me, it was supposed to be kind of animals mixed with, you know, the, part of the movie, him getting beat up in the alley is the gritty animals world. And then when he gets kind of, you know, when he gets to the crazier characters and stuff, the mo- it's becoming more of a movie. Uh, right. Like with all the movie tropes and the editing and the, the you know, over the topness and the polishedness comic book vibe of it. Um, so, yeah. So that movie was a whole different approach in terms of story and how we were able to, you know, work with the how I worked with the actors. And, and it felt much more movieish on purpose. Like, I know that's a weird term. I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense. But, uh, uh Yeah. I don't
2: know
1: where I was going with that, but... No. So, touching on that super quick, you had some...
2: anime Huh? My laptop just gave way, but I can still hear. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry, Colin, if you you can't see me, I'm still here. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) All right, we're good. Um, So, uh, we
1: have... In Die in a Gunfight, you had some animated sequences. And Mm -hmm. were you involved in the direction of those animated sequences? And if so, um, how much of that came from storyboards? Because I think I read an article I was creeping on your Twitter page Uh and um, (laughs) I saw you link to an article that was talking about because of the covid lockdown, you couldn't do the reshoots you wanted to do. You had to use animated sequences to kind of fill in those places if you directed those what challenges did you find directing animated sequences versus live action and what pros and cons of each?
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. That, that, that came out of necessity of needing more, uh, story to the movie, P- big pieces missing. And yeah, we couldn't film anything. We're like, well, the only people working, you know, are people who can work from a computer and animators and whatnot. And we found a company that was legit, you know, they, they, Worked on a ton of stuff. I can't remember everything, but I know one of them was one of the newer Ninja Turtles shows, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool!" Like, let's. This is kind of the vibe. You know, our movie had at that point we're finished editing. We knew exactly what we needed, and the movie had become so hyper stylized that we're like, "Well, what are we missing?" You know, what what other stylization isn't in this movie? And like, well, how about animation? And that kind of answered all the questions of what we needed to do both creatively and also just to get the movie done. And Honestly, I loved the entire process of it's funny. It's kind of dangerous. It kind of gets into that. And I keep talking about George Lucas. I, I just relate with a lot of it, the stories of his frustrations and, you know, uh, growing up, you know, as he was younger, making Star Wars and into why he made the prequels, how he made them. You feel like he just, you know, at fix it in post sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I kind of felt I got a taste of that world of, wow, asking for something and then having someone execute it perfectly and you don't even have to do anything. You, it, you just wait around <laughs> for a week and they sh- they're showing you things You're like, oh, my gosh, it's getting better and better. And now it's all done and it blew my mind and it surpassed my expectations and I didn't have to do anything except for say what I want. Uh, so that was the the pros of it was we're having this incredibly professional team of animators who, you know, someone did the designs, someone did the coloring, someone did the actual animation of it. And, and, and basically I pitched, I found a bunch of like images and some motions, some different animations online that I like, you know, I would compile things from online or from Instagram mm-hmm. or for everything I could find and giving a vibe of what we wanted. And I handed it to them and then they come back with, well, here's the price range. Here's what we can do within that price range and range. And, um, you know, they kind of just laid out what it would look like. And, and, and I, yeah, I was kind of learning how the process, but it just felt like that, what, what it would feel like in my mind to be a big director where you just kind of walk in, you stamp something you're like, that looks good. Can you animate the mouth a little more like this? And I, I mean, I had no notes on anything really other than like, yeah, can we make, it? just got to fit in this timeline or it's got to feel like this. And, and they kind of ran with it and you know, they were genius with it, it was, it was so fun. Nice.
1: The, um, <clears throat> there's a saying to where uh, you write one movie you shoot a second one and you edit yeah. a third one of your three films that you've done so far. What do you feel has stayed most true to the original vision of what you wanted to accomplish? And also, which movie do you feel like detracted most or uh, kind of cha- had the most transformation during those events? Sure. Um, Honestly, they're all pretty close,
0: like in, in, in some realm, they're all really close to what I wanted, but I would say that animals is by far like, that's like 85, 87% how I want it. Like exactly the look, the feel, you know, knowing with what we had, uh, and how we were going to do it from start to finish. It kind of became exactly what I wanted. What's funny is on animals, we had three hours of footage uh, to edit, to play with, like we shot th- the first cut of animals was three hours long, so you know each you know movie is about ninety minutes, so we literally cut ninety minutes of the movie. So that's one of the reasons why I think that movie works the best for me and became the, the closest vision because you can we cut out, we cut out ninety minutes of crap, you know, so mm-hmm. like right. to the to the to the viewer they don't even know. <clears throat> they're like, wow, this is great. But to me, I'm like, oh, man, this is a house of cards. But they don't know that because, I mean, every movie is kind of this house of cards that, like, if you pull one thread, it all falls apart. But luckily, you guys aren't seeing what's on the, you know, chopping room floor. And you're not seeing all the disasters or what it was supposed to be. Um, but, yeah, Animals is pretty much, I think, again, because the world was so gritty and we're just in Chicago and the, all, we're in alleys, we're in the back of a car. We're, you know, all the places kind of, as I imagined them, turned out exactly how I imagined them and the way it felt as it came together uh, was exactly how i hoped um, all creatures i just had a, i w- had higher expectations with the way maybe it looked and sounded just to be a little higher quality a little a little less rough around the edges and it didn't reach that for me but in terms of story and and, and as you know what the script was it's again pretty much exactly what it was die in the gunfight is definitely the furthest I think we nailed a lot of the sequences and whatnot, but, like, overall, it coming together, like, just because we had to strip out so much of the script last minute and, and yeah. kind of wing it, uh, you know, so many things on the day. We had to just, like, be like, oh, we only had two shots. That's it. We had two takes to do that. And it's like, what? Like, this is absurd. Like, I, we need, like, ten takes of this. And it's just like, well, we only have two. So it felt almost like I went backwards. To, we are in film school just, like, you only get two shots each and move on, and it's just like, man. Mm-hmm. So, I so in a way, that's the furthest, you know. That's like literally like 45% of what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, but I learned the most <clears throat> on that one. So, I learned so much on, uh, you know, having all the
1: production hurdles to get over. Mm-hmm. The, um, the lighting, you talked about in Animals and uh, All Creatures. Is, was that dictated based on, I guess, the budget you guys had and the kind of run and gun nature? I don't know how much running and gunning you did with all creatures, but um, it seemed very had the similar kind of lighting style would motivated lighting. Sure. Or yeah. Used a lot of natural lighting. Um, yes. Was that a choice going in knowing your budget constraints for each or was it more of a happy accident kind of thing? Well, this is what we got to work with. This is how it's going to look kind of a thing.
0: Uh, It was definitely a choice going in. Like, I am all about natural lighting and realism. And, you know, I don't care if I'm, if I were to get to make a Star Wars movie. Like, to me, I'm all about, I want to look real. I want things Mm -hmm. to look, I don't like the way most movies look now with everything so polished and perfect. And again, for Gunfight, it was kind of a, the whole point of that was almost, I'm kind of making a statement, like going over the top with it, uh, because it's not what I do. And, and... The first two movies were definitely a conscious choice and I'm honestly excited to get a a next movie going because I want to now fuse both of those together where it it can feel a little bigger, but still remaining true to the, you know, authenticity of, of motivated lighting and, and just realism and make feel, I want it to feel like, you know, stuff gets on the camera and stuff's in the way and Mm -hmm. the camera operator doesn't necessarily know where the characters are going. You know, I don't like when it's all so perfectly executed like a, you know, Marvel movie or something. It just feels too... It just gets boring. Yeah, just so have a
1: little bit brighter than uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, yeah, the sure. long night. Yeah, the long yeah, night. I, yeah, I, for real.
0: I feel like everything now. It's okay if it's all a little brighter. And maybe the sound effects turned down a little bit, uh, and the yeah. dialogue turned up a little bit. Uh, for, for sure.
2: So, so, Colin, you would say you're not a Kubrick-style director?
0: <laughs> no, not at all. I honestly get so frustrated. I mean, I of course love Kubrick. I love The Shining. I love. I can find something to love about every filmmaker and something to hate about every filmmaker. But to me, I just love when things feel like organic and real and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, that feeling of, I just love to say like, pretend you don't know. I mean, that's why we have a thing. Like we called it like floating. I'd be like, okay, like just kind of float with the camera. Like, like if the actor does something different this time, you know float with it just pretend it should be real it's like it's okay if you're a little off and it it, it, Mm. like that to me just is what feels tangible and on gunfight i had a hard time explaining like literally we had a union crew on gunfight so we had union camera operators and they're all brilliant but they also all work on like every wb show that goes in which is a polished perfect Mm. you know thing so like there's a i remember one day when we were filming like kid the, that I think one of the actors moved a certain way out of frame and the operator didn't like follow and I was like what like f- like because and it's because that wasn't talked about it's like well mm-hmm. it's like to me I'm like just go with it just like I don't care what, if something explodes keep rolling don't cut like film the explosion and and pan to it and pan back and like just again yeah, keep going keep...
1: till cut <laughs> yeah yeah
0: absolutely because that's how you find those happy accidents and and sometimes when people work on tv and commercials where everything's so perfectly executed beforehand it's kind of like they're afraid to take those or maybe not afraid they just don't know they don't know what the director Mm -hmm. wants so you got to be it's about me being clear of of it's okay make it feel organic
1: how how would you say your attitude is or not? Sorry, attitude. Uh, how would you feel the set is when you direct? Ah. do you, do you have it more laid back? Is it more like what's your directing style? Not so much again on what's on screen, but more so. Sure. Like because you have Eastwood, who is known to be super, super laid back to where he doesn't yeah. even say action or cut. And then you have uh, people like Kubrick that does 47 takes. Yeah. And right. so it's exactly right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sure. No, I'm definitely more laid back. Like I'm super chill. Like most people don't even know I'm the director. So like and I honestly <laughs> take that as a compliment because like I'm there to like cuz it's fun to me. It's like it's like we're trying to do this artistic thing. I look at it as like painting or something. Like I love to paint and draw and like you kind of when someone's over your shoulder in your painting the whole time they're like, "What? This looks what are you doing?" I can't even tell. And then at the end like, "Oh, I see it now." And it takes right. a while. And I feel like if you were standing on set, you're kind of that same feeling of like Okay, what's happening? What's going on? He's why is Colin being calm right now and he should be freaking out or he's freaking out and we're all calm. Like usually it's pretty calm. Yeah, there's a there's always that like thing of something goes wrong, so there's some miscommunication happening and there's some frustration. But for the most part, it's pretty chill. I like to do like four or five takes. Usually like the third takes perfect, the fourth one's a bonus, and then we do a fifth one where everything's you know, we just try stuff, you know, ideally that's how it is. Or if something's not working, you got to do 15 takes, but knowing that you got to nail the easy stuff in two takes or something. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm definitely going with the flow and I'm almost too go with the flow because I see, you know, you kind of have two lines that you're walking and, and you, you don't want to go too far one way or too far the other. But as long as you stay in between those two lines, you know, you let the movie evolve and, and I think having a, a more relaxed set, allows for that. And and yeah, I'm not loud. I'm not a loud yelling tyrant on set mm-hmm. or anything. So, you know, and I'm always open to hearing you know, hearing people's opinions and thoughts.
1: Have you um you were talked about not getting what you want or not getting what you were looking for? Is there an instance you can think of? I mean you don't have to name the actor um sure. but is there um how do you kind of go about uh, getting what you want from an actor if they're not delivering exactly what you're looking for or I mean do you guys make compromises do you kind of halt things a little bit just to kind of talk it through what what's your process for that because it can't be perfect every, all the time but
0: yeah yeah I mean yeah luckily if, if you have great actors luck sometimes they just come in nail it and you're like wow I didn't even have to do anything and that's the best oh it's not always the best because it's you know sometimes you want to play with stuff but like for me it's if if it's really getting difficult then and you just not maybe it's a yeah, f- for whatever reason, it's just not working on the day. And and one thing I'll do is, if it's an actor doing something, you know, opposite of another actor, I'll go to the other actor and say, "Hey, can you do something to like maybe say something different, hmm. say a different line, you know, and, I'll, and make it so that that actor has to react to something, mm-hmm. and, and right. you you get something different. Or I'll what I love to do is, and this is a benefit of having writers around. If you know, in a m- movies of this size, you can do this. I'll just be like, let's change the lines all around. Let's let's uh, uh, you know if I'm really at, at at the end of the rope and and I can't get something right or a line just isn't working and the actor isn't delivering. I love being like, okay, let's do the whole scene without saying the lines. Like literally, get like have one actor say the lines and the other actor don't give any responses other than with your face in your or your hands, or your the, their lack of saying lines suddenly gets an awesome look or they'll. Hmm if the line is supposed to be them ignoring, you know, saying something like kind of snarky and I say, don't, and it's not working. I'll be like, how about just do something else? Just don't say anything. Suddenly that actor will like take a drink of their coffee in that line. And it looks like they're like deliberately ignoring them or whatever it is Mm -hmm. comes out even stronger than, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, sometimes it's just getting rid of the dialogue, getting rid of the lines and trying to just shake it up. Really just, it's about loosening up the actors and kind of making sure they remember they can, React and not just have to be so statically repeating. You know, just mm-hmm. saying what they rehearsed.
1: Are there um, are there any barriers, limitations that you kind of encountered that you had to overcome in a creative way? I mean, we kind of already touched on one to where using the animated sequences for die in a gunfight uh, mm-hmm. when you got when you couldn't go back and do re- reshoots on animals or all creatures. Was there an instance to where like you guys had a roadblock, but then you kind of uh, came up with an interesting way to kind of achieve that vision that you're looking for.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a day, just a really simple one where it's like nobody's fault, but it was pouring down rain for like two straight days. And we had a lot of outside stuff and, you know, part of you is like, cool, let's just go shoot in the rain. You know? And it's like, well, it's not always that easy. You know, it just doesn't Mm -hmm. like continuity and this and that and your gear and, uh, I just love the solution we came up with. There was a day that we were like, well, it's one production value. Let's try to use some of it, the rain. So we, we found a bridge, like this big bridge that, in a park that no one was around. So it was basically like a bridge that was an overhang that we had all of our crew and gear in. And we put like a kind of a telephoto lens on, you know, so that the camera was under the bridge. And then we put the car and the actors in the rain and we were we did it all in kind of like a two take sort of thing two different angles from under the bridge and it's this awesome scene you know where it's raining and they're in the car and we're seeing through the rain and it worked out great but then we had more to shoot that day so we were like well let's keep using this bridge so we did another day it was i mean we we stayed there and it was raining still but we took the car and put it under the bridge and we just blasted light in and it looked like a sunny day you know mm-hmm. and and we did a whole nother scene that we was was supposed to be scheduled on a different day so it was kind of like this idea of like, you just kind of learn to juggle the scenes and, and and make it work somehow. And to me, that was like an exciting, I remember us all just feeling very accomplished. Like, wow, we did not delay ourselves. We didn't panic. We didn't, nothing was ruined. We didn't try to do something crazy. But it all, you know, lended itself both logistically, you know, it worked out, but also, on screen like it made it made a oh, cool we had a, a rainy scene day you know that looked like we had a, a rain machine uh, and a different type of weather look so yeah stuff like that there's always just every day there's something that you just kind of have to hustle
2: through problem-solve so do you enjoy that that aspect of filmmaking more overcoming like a hurdle or do you enjoy it more when it comes together perfectly
0: I kind of do like those hurdles because in a way it makes everyone trust you because everyone, like if something goes slightly off, then everyone's a little more hesitant to make their, no one wants to screw up. No one wants to be the one who like made the decision that day because something was off. So they actually let you make be the one who's going to screw up. And you're like, good, I'll, I'll make the decision. If it doesn't work, that's my fault. But when everything's going perfectly, then everyone kind of gets like ahead of themselves, gets, gets mm-hmm. car, the car, cart ahead of the horse and they're like, kind of forget that they need you as or to look to you as the, the the director um so yeah it kind of keeps them on their feet when things are a little off and me too right. though you know but I gotta kind of hide that
2: right and <laughs> kind of piggyback off of that do you, and you, you talked about storyboarding earlier when we were uh, I don't know what is it about a half hour ago mm-hmm. so when you're when you're prepping for a movie what do you think is the most important aspect Uh, Of preparing that most commonly get overlooked or, or a filmmaker wouldn't even think about.
0: I personally think it's knowing the edit in your head ahead of time, like having the storyboards done in a way that, you know, exactly where at the worst case scenario, of course, hopefully you can shoot more and get more than you need and not have to worry about it. But knowing like, it's so cool to be like, I mean, editing is my main kind of background of like, that's how I pay bills still. That's how I'm always editing. And you save so much in the editing room and you sculpt so much in the editing room. So when you can like say to someone on set, like, I see how this edits because like every, you know, this is what I deal with a thousand times. Like, I wish I had that shot. This is that shot that I'm the editor wishes they had. And Mm -hmm. and we just got to get it, you know, like knowing ahead of time how it's going to cut together just It saves... Because you know how to cover... You know, like, I only need one take of that. Let's nail it and move on. Or do mm-hmm. two takes and that's it. Whereas, like, when you don't really know, you're kind of like, I don't know if I need... Where will I use this shot? Like, you know which one's the scrap. Because on the day, you're, if you have five shots playing, you're probably only going to get three. Or whatever it is. If you have ten shots, you're going to get eight. So you know, like, as an editor, like, oh, I know which two to scrap. Those are... In the editing room, those are, like, bonus shots. I don't need those.
1: Um, yeah. Ed- editing is... I prefer editing more so that like I I hate shooting, but yeah. I will shoot think I would prefer to shoot something that I edit just because then I already know what shots I want to get. Yeah. And I'm not wasting as much time. But in the instances to where I'll do work for other people to where they send me footage and then yeah. I have to come up with the finished thing. I just one. I just hate going through raw footage. I agree and with the pain. Finding stuff. And
0: yeah.
1: That's it. Oh, that's God. a
0: perfect. That's that's exactly it. That's how I feel about it. The editing, especially when you shot it, because when you're filming, like there'll be a look that an actor gives or whatever that it feels like at, when we're filming, you, going through raw footage is what I'm pretending I'm doing when we're filming. Mm-hmm. We're filming, and yeah. I'm like, in my mind, I'm, I'm cataloging it as raw footage. And I'm seeing mm-hmm. like, that's garbage, that's garbage, that's great, I need that, I'll, I'll, that's, that's a little sub clip I'll put over here. And I'm doing it mentally. And then somehow when you get to editing, you still remember it all for the most part. Mm-hmm. You, somehow huh. it takes you right back to that moment of like, oh yeah, that's that eye look that I wanted. Yep. It's, it's really weird. Or you find, and then you also find bonus stuff where you're like, what was this? Like, this is cool. I thought that was horrible on the day, but this is ends up being the one that I, the take that I use. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're absolutely right with
2: that. So, Colin, you've done three movies now and talking about editing and bigger budgets and and whatnot. Prior to your first movie and for most filmmakers that haven't even made a movie yet, what do you think you've learned that maybe you were fearful of before your first one that
0: Mm -hmm.
2: maybe was kind of an unnecessary fear um, that maybe a filmmaker, uh, an up and coming filmmaker, has now that you've learned that you shouldn't really necessarily need to be as fearful of this specific aspect.
0: I would say this will partially sound like cliche, but like I really mean this. Like I'm even saying this to myself going into the next movie, especially after three, because it's like clearly three three times in a row, this is how it is. Nobody cares. You think everyone cares, like, oh, I got to please this person. (laughs) They want that. Nobody cares. At the end of the day, you're the one in the editing room stuck with the footage. And then you're the one who gets like uh, all the blame if it's good or bad. If it's good, (laughs) everyone jumps on board. If it's bad, everyone abandons you. So either way, it's you at the end of the day. Yeah, in the moment, it might seem like someone cares. But I swear to you, every one of those 38 producers was not present when I was sitting there Editing for months, they didn't care. (laughs) They come, they come in and they look at something once. You, I think they watched the movie. I don't know, but all the all the decisions that they wanted to make ahead of time, and you thought it mattered. They they don't even remember half of those decisions. You know what I mean? They don't even. So it's it's always like don't be fearful of like yeah in the moment. It's I know this sounds a little sneaky, and I try I, I don't try to be sneaky. We try to be transparent and upfront, and but. There's so many times where I'm like, just agree. Just say yeah. Like, like cool. Yeah, that works great. Because they won't even remember. They go on to their next 20 projects. Because I'm sure. only on set. I'm only on set like every three or four years. Like, some of these get, people make, produce like three movies a year. It's right, like, right. They, they, they jump right into the next one. I'm not. I'm stuck with Dying a Gunfight still. I'm still having the conversations about Dying in Gunfight. Well, they've all made like three new movies. Uh, so it's like, right. just don't, don't care. Like, not in a mean, disrespectful way, but in a, you know, go with your
2: gut. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: My my AV teacher
1: in senior year of high school, he told us, and it was one of the things that stuck with me, was uh, a teacher said, no one is going to care about your project more than you. And he meant that not so much as don't worry about what other people are thinking and st- stuff. It was more of trying to motivate people. You need to figure yeah. out a way to get people motivated and get a passion for your project because you're going to love it. It's going to be in the world to you. But for other people, it just won't. And kind of understanding that. But then also when you touched on to where they move on to other things, and a lot of them, they don't even remember the decisions. When I worked as a commercial producer, I had a or a commercial editor. I had a Mm -hmm. producer that would come in and she would say, oh, uh," she would come in, just say something to try and own whatever the hell it was I was editing and she's like can you uh change that font size about two points and I'm like oh okay and then she's like "Shift it over and kind of redo that she wouldn't give any kind of specifics it would just be uh work on that for a little bit and then after about the third time she did that I wouldn't change a damn thing and I'd bring her back in like what do you think of this? Oh yeah, that's much better. And I'm like, get the Ex- fuck out. Like <laughs> exactly.
0: That's exactly it. Like at first you think like, oh, I better do this. And then you start realizing it. It's just like a, whether it's a power play or it's just, yeah, it's them having two cents, their little stamp on it. But at the end of the day, you're the one doing the work and you're doing it and you know best. So like, yeah, just kind of like, that's exactly it. That's, I do that stuff regularly. I literally edit things wrong on purpose so, so that when they give a note, I'm like, great idea. And then I know that's exactly what I was going to do anyways. I just don't, <laughs> when I do it right the first time, then they have notes. Where I'm like, well, I can't, I can't make it any better than this. Or, you know,
1: like, this is it. This is the footage you gave me or whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah, you do two two alternates, two versions. Yep. And you have one that's really good that you know is yep. going to get picked. And then you have the shit one that you're just yep. like, "Oh yeah, look at this, this is the other Take way." Take a look. look.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you're like, "Oh, let me let me tweak it a little bit." And then you get the good one. You're like, "How about this?" And Like, "Nailed it." And you're like, "Oh, okay, good." So, yeah, there's all those <laughs> tricks and a lot of it is unfortunately that's where the ego comes in and but you're right, at the end of the day, it's you, you know, you got to bring the passion. You got to be the one that gets everyone excited. They're buying into you they're not really buying into the project they're buying into you and your excitement for the project and if you can get those people motivated then they give money and
2: give their talent and give their time so so con do you think there's added pressure as i know you you, you're going to be doing your fourth movie but Mm -hmm. it'll probably be a bigger budget do you do you have any like uh increased pressure whatsoever by having you know an increased budget and maybe you'll work with a an actor with even bigger name recognition than you than you you work with already like does that play on your mind at all or do you just not even think about it
0: now I I did before the third movie but because a gunfight was such a crazy learning experience from every angle I in a way I'm like kind of not I I don't have any fears I have the fears that I of my own of like what I want to do with my career but like in terms of like all those other things I almost don't don't care because I had way more fear after animals, because animals did well, and it did the festival stuff, and it did all the things that I wanted it to do, and it got bought right away, and I had a lot of fear. Like, how do you follow that up? How do you? Everything's gonna be bigger. Now I'm like, I, I was so like, I got so, in a way, jaded from dying a gunfight, that I'm kind of like, I almost feel invincible, because I'm like, well, I don't care. Like There's no, there's only up from here. Like, I feel like I hit so many rock bottom moments and. Gunfight. That now I'm like, well, now I don't have to worry about anything.
1: <laughs> so this kind of goes in that line of fear. Now, I mean, <clears throat> when you did Animals, that was your first movie, and you had John Hurt in your movie, and yeah. then you had Karen Gillan and all creatures, and then you, Alexander Daddario, um in uh, dying a gunfight. Travis Fimmel. Pardon. I love Travis Fimmel. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And so. Did you have any kind of trepidation or uneasiness, like kind of, I guess, almost being a little bit timid as far as directing them? I mean, I'm sure they're they're all professional and they probably go in there and they're like, I'm being paid to do a job. This is my job to give them the best what I can do. Um, But did you have any kind of that of that fear going in, at least with animals, with John Hurd and then Karen Gillan, when you were stepping up a little bit with all creatures? And how did you kind of deal with that? Or did it just kind of by the time you guys got to shooting, you were already had a back and forth? Uh, Maybe that kind of put you at ease. Yeah,
0: uh, it's kind of like I'm always a little nervous. I think I found that luckily, yeah, they're all professional. They won't be there. They won't accept the job if they're not, you know. The hardest part is really the first time you meet them, convincing them to do Maybe they like the script and they want to meet or they want to do a Zoom call. And that's kind of the the final nail in the coffin of whether they're going to commit or not. If you connect enough in a way there, then everything that follows, you kind of, you're like, okay, like now everything's based on that conversation. They already agreed to do it. They're getting paid. They're, okay. they're pretty, co- seem, seemingly pretty cool the whole time. And, and it, that takes away a lot of your fear, uh, because they do show up and they nail it. And I'm always blown away by how great everyone's been. Um, but yeah, honestly, I think it's a generational thing. I really hope and think that a lot of that stress of like the divas and the, you know, that way of thinking of almost uh, kind of the Me Too movement helped a lot. You know, this idea of just we're, we recognize bullying uh, in, in the workplace. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yep. kind of like a lot of that has gone away, I hope, or it feels better, at least when you're dealing with like a Karen Gillen, you know, our generation, people who are incredibly talented. They show up, they do their stuff, but they also can, they, they're not going to pull those things that you've heard a million, you know, all those stories we hear of, of diva type. Celebrities, which still exist, obviously. And, and I've I want a gotten, thousand
1: brown M&Ms to fill a brandy yeah. glass. Or I'm not going to go on. <laughs> I'm stage. not showing up. Yeah,
0: that stuff still obviously exists and there's variations of it. But I, I do think a lot of it, 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 we see that we a lot of we can see through that. And I'm hoping that, you know, at this point, me and the people that I'm working with in terms of behind the camera, as we're hiring these t- actors or whoever, you know, we kind of know like this type, that type of person or someone that would give us that fear or be intimidating. You just don't hire You don't work with them. You know, you just, Mm -hmm. you get someone who fits your movie. And, and, you know, of course, as the movies get bigger, we, you know, it does come with bigger names and stuff, but Sure. At the same time, uh, that whole landscape of filmmaking is different too. Like, you know, there aren't necessarily movie stars the same way there used to be movie stars. You know, yeah. I don't think we're going to have a Tom Cruise anytime soon. I don't just don't think it's it doesn't happen. We all have our 15 minutes of fame and and it's yep. different. So, that helps a lot because mm-hmm. the the well, that distance between the big screen and us is has you know, closed. Shrunk. Yeah, it's shrunk. So, it's like that well, What takes did a uh,
2: fear? What did a Quentin Tarantino just say? Like, uh, uh, Chris Evans isn't a movie star. Captain America is the movie yeah. star. <laughs> That's I mean, the character. I, it's not the...
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Like, it, it mm-hmm. feels, in a way, like, it's like, yeah, people go see the character. No, it's not like, yeah. I'm going to see a... You know, there's a few of them left, like Leo and Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. And, you know, obviously, we got a handful. But um, Jennifer yeah. Lawrence
1: is maybe, you know, those types are kind of the last Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kills me when pe- when someone says something like that and everyone just jumps on their ass like, "Whoa,
0: whoa. Yeah, <laughs> Chris yeah. Evans
1: is a movie star. It's like you're not listening to what he said. He didn't say yeah. he wasn't famous. He yeah, said yeah. people aren't going to the theater to see him, which I 100 percent agree. Sure, like, sure. No, I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that probably sure. go
2: see. And uh, me mean, you've had this conversation before, Jay. I mean, everyone's going to go see the next Bond movie. It yeah. doesn't matter who's playing. It doesn't matter who's Absolutely. playing. It.
0: They're yeah. all going to go see it. Exactly. That's it. I think that's the stuff that's surviving still on the big screen is the stuff that, yeah, the material like that.
1: The, um, <clears throat> so I watched All Creatures here below last night. Um, cool. Thank you. My, <laughs> my, my, my wife went to bed afterwards and probably cried herself to sleep. Oh, and, oh I'm sorry. And I'm <laughs> good,
0: good. That's what I want.
2: He's like,
1: yes. That's exactly the goal. So, um, not going to lie. Like, so I uh, we were watching it and spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this. Go watch this movie so you can. Under- so the scene where Karen Gillen at Ruby is holding the baby in the hotel room and the housekeeper is knocking on the door. And she thinks that someone's searching for the baby and the baby's crying. And then she mm-hmm. starts pulling the uh, comforter. And yeah. Soon, which everything in that movie is very, very well acted. You did a great job directing it. I almost noped out of that as soon as it cut away. And I was like, oh, I can't just because as I've gotten older, I've had a hard time just kind of sticking with that. And I don't know if it was just that paralleled with the cuts to uh, uh, Jensen um, describing what he and Ruby had to go through uh, getting up, but it was just like a rain of shit in 10 minutes. But that (laughs) that (laughs) scene When she's holding the baby and you have that sequence to where uh, she accidentally smothers the baby. What is the mood like that on set? Is it mm-hmm. are you guys so desensitized by that point to where it's kind of like, uh, all right, well, let's uh, hold on. Let's let's do it again. And I mean, I imagine emotionally it probably takes um, at least for the actors um does a production crew feel that way or is it so desensitized to the point to where it's just, well, another day, another work? Because if I do something that's like, there's some things that I've done that's funny or that's supposed Mm -hmm. to be funny. But by the time I write it, I think about it, I shoot it. And it's, it's almost like, okay, I'm doing it. And then I edit it to where it's lost its humor and I'm starting to edit in varying degrees of funny as opposed to, um, Knowing that it's funny, if that makes yeah. sense. So, I yeah. mean, do you do you still get that emotion, feeling it that the audience is going to feel, or is it more of a subdued um, uh, environment? It's it's funny. It's it does still feel like that day, especially I think
0: because with the baby, because it was a living baby that we had. Like that was a interesting territory of like, okay, the parents are here, everything's safe. We've talked this to death, so it's it's probably a bad term to use we've talked about this a lot we know know some
2: <laughs> don't throw the baby scene. out with the bathwater. water <laughs> exactly <laughs>
1: don't use
0: any of those things um yeah we we had talked to so much that like we knew the safety of it and how to do it but there was that day i do remember kind of a quietness it's kind of the idea of when you are filming you know we almost treat we treat it like a closed off set where most people are we kind of get the crew down as small as small as possible and have the rest of the crew kind of tucked away somewhere else and we keep it intimate. And I think that by nature, the calmness after having other days that are crazy and you know, we're all out running around doing things and then being like, no, this is a quiet day that we're going to tackle this heavy scene. Uh, it does lend to the, you kind of feel a a little more, you kind of feel, you know, like again, with that baby there, you kind of feel this weird feeling in the pit of your stomach. Um, but, even when we were doing stuff on animals with like the heroin scenes like shooting up scenes it still all felt yeah very desensitized in a way that we it been rehearsed so much we talked it to death hmm. we man i keep saying that we we uh uh we, <laughs> we talked about shot it right up
1: <laughs> we shot
0: yeah, we shot it right up it, it was a <laughs> feeling of no uh yeah it was um it just felt very you make it feel so safe and comfortable that it kind of almost feels mechanical in a way so there is a little Uh, desensitized feeling of it especially because you're always just racing against the clock so for some reason your adrenaline and your stress of racing against the clock to get the scene done kind of trumps unfortunately it trumps the emotion of what you're trying to accomplish and Mm -hmm. what the viewer is going to be watching but at the same time you still feel it and you feel it in the actors giving their you know it takes a toll on the actors to have to cry and put themselves through that and you kind of, you don't just jump right into a kind of, you know whatever you're talking about. Yeah. You know. So on other days you might though. On other days you're kind of like, okay, cut. Okay, wait, what? Are we getting the-? like? You, and then you say some funny thing. Or whereas on those days you all kind of have that mindful, uh, melancholy kind of attitude, I guess. So yeah, you do feel it, but at the same time it's so, so rehearsed that you're, yeah, you are a little desensitized. And you're all everyone's just always stressed about the time. <laughs> everyone's always mm-hmm. like, we don't have time to worry. We don't have enough time to feel anything right now
1: was of mice and men in the back of uh dalmatians all uh, right
2: god jeez damn it david's you <laughs> need to get <laughs> I mean, just yeah keep in. it easy dave at least it's
1: d um, um was that fact of, of mine because when they were walking um as soon as like when when dave when jensen walked into the room he uh-huh. was holding the baby and they were walking through the woods yeah um i immediately got the lenny and george feeling and i turned to my wife i was like yeah L- yeah. Lenny's gonna get it, and absolutely,
0: um, yeah. No, yeah. that's great that you're that. That's when I read the script, I was like, man, this is total Steinbeck, you know, mm-hmm. uh, vibes, and and that's what he was going for. Definitely of mice and men, and I even saw a little like grapes of wrath in there, like kind of just that feeling, that desolate, desperate feeling, and absolutely, he he wanted to kind of have that uh, almost novel like approach to it, like a very literature, you know, that feeling.
1: And, and I don't know if this is intentional, but I did like that sense to where they went from the highly populated Los Angeles and then they were just slowly going to that, I guess, blue collar Kansas mm-hmm. City environment that, well, Steinbeck has a lot of that to where he talked a lot about all the working class um, yeah. people. And that, that's who he wrote about to where he was just kind of taking them out of the L.A. S- diverse culture all the way out to the sticks, pretty much
0: yeah Um, absolutely that's totally it definitely one of the themes and one of the things that i enjoyed most about it coming up with ideas visually and you know thematically like that road trip into the yeah into the sticks into the heart mm -hmm. heartland
2: uh colin for Mm -hmm. animals did some of the the cons that were done to 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 get money it seemed very real did yeah david did David participate in any of those cons? Were they inspired by a real event that happened, or was it just a story that he might have heard of? Yeah, know, I. He definitely.
0: Vine? Yeah, he he was involved with a lot of that stuff. You know, a lot of his daily hustles for a while there, living in Chicago in a car with his girlfriend at the time. Uh, what that was it. Their daily hustle of you know all the tricks of like. Oh, we're out of gas, and you carry around a gas tank, and you know, and people give you a couple of bucks, and you're like our cars right. are around the corner, you know, those <laughs> types of things. Which actually, that happened to us while we were filming. I was like, whoa! Like so many things came to, you know, a realization of like how real and how close to home everything was as we were filming. Like people would come up to us and do those little tricks. I'm like, wow, we're filming a scene about, you know, characters that are doing exactly what you guys are doing right now, and it's kind of heartbreaking, but also kind of just wow. It's like art in life, art imitating life, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, Dave was involved with that. And, of course, he obviously put a lot of it into story, you know, things that he had heard and, like, the dates and, and stuff. I don't think they participated yeah. in that. But they they talked about it, you know. They, they did their own versions of that stuff. Um, sure. And I know at one point he – the script, you know, was super solid, and he went through so many drafts of that script way before I was involved. You know, there's times where it got way more movie-ish. I know I keep using that term, but, like – You know, there's like the guy, one of the the guys from the dates came back at the end and they crossed paths again Uh, and he had a gun. (laughs) Things that, again, that's what I mean by like the movie moments that I really wanted to strip out. He had already done that in the script, but I I love stripping those things out like and and just finding. I always say like, okay, this is like the movie version of what that character would wear or what that character (laughs) would do. Let's like take it back two notches. Like what's the realistic version of that?
2: Yeah, Um, I appreciated that aspect of the movie because the very first uh uh guy that they tried to con he just seemed like a normal lonely guy that you know yeah that, i was expecting the second guy that they came across who was creepy and saying vulgar shit and was gonna run after and possibly yeah take advantage of her and uh it was just a nice touch that you put that in there because that's probably you know most guys lonely you know yeah, yeah very some real very, guy scared, gag, half, to yeah, death, scared and, half to death yes woman, yeah oh man stuff, he yeah. nailed
0: that scene too that, that was one of my favorite i think that might be my all-time favorite scene filming of any of my movies it just it's felt so good. nothing went wrong that day everyone was on it i i he brought so much to that character and and it felt everyone was just we we're just like it felt like we we're chilling in a friend's house filming a scene just
2: like back in the day nice and i must say con i wanted to say this uh it's I think Animals is the first happy ending drug abuse movie that I've ever seen and I was pleasantly surprised cuz I for sure thought that we were going down the room for a dream route. Yeah. <laughs> I was
0: like, no. I was like, that's "Oh great. man, this is
2: going to be rough."
0: <laughs> I, no, I'm so I honestly that was what I loved about the script. Like, of course I was going to do it no matter what cuz it was my first opportunity and he was asking me to do it and but when yeah. I read it, I was like, "Why?" Why a heroin movie we have so many indie it's like a genre of its own indie heroin drug movies and they're always bleak and then when he said it was all real and you know when I got to the end of it I was like okay like there is something kind of unique about this like if we nail yeah. it it could be kind of like this kind of it's like heartbreaking but still like this cleansing ending and, and you know I, I, who knows what happens to them but you can kind of think what you want of it and, and they, yeah someone doesn't have a crazy tragic death mm-hmm. scene and yeah you know, it very, and,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly it, losing an arm and <laughs> yes it, it avoided all that stuff but at yeah. the same
0: time was kind of unique on in its own way and i think that's why it's kind of refreshing yeah,
1: yeah. and it's yeah and it, i i enjoyed the story ending that way because because it was refreshing to where you thought uh before they went skinny dipping in the pool mm-hmm. you you thought, okay, they're gonna try and get high one more time, and she's gonna relapse, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. To where, no, it's just they both kind of understood that if they remained together, it wasn't going to work out for either of them, and it's best if they just stay separate, even though they do love each other. I love that paradox that they experienced, um, just yeah. as far it, as that story goes. So, yeah,
2: I got to say, the ending it knocked it out of the park. It's very memorable. I, I loved it. I thought it was. Very good. Great.
1: Thank yeah. you. No, that I
0: appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys even just watching, let alone, you know, just hearing oh, yeah, discussions no. about it. Like it's, you'd be surprised how few discussions I get to have about, you know, most people are like, cool. I watched a movie. Great. And that's like, yeah. It. And it's just <laughs> like, Oh, it's so nice to actually dissect them and talk about them objectively, you know, like, yeah, as movies. Yeah. You no, know.
1: I, yeah, because you ended the movie with uh, them skinny dipping in the water and yeah. the beginning shot of the movie was two whales. So I imagine yeah. you were equating <laughs> yeah. David and Kim Shaw as whales. Oh, yeah, there you yes. go. And you were making that parallel. You were, you were calling them both fat.
0: I'm calling well. both fat. That's the real, the real message that goes all over everyone's <laughs> yes. head. And now yes. we got the whale out here stealing it's my idea. It's an obesity film. Heroin yeah. is sugar. And exactly. high fructose corn syrup. Right. It's all yeah. a metaphor for the the sugar corporation.
2: Yes. <laughs> I I also like the the I, whose idea was it? Was it in the script where they were in their Oldsmobile? But I was like they, they were in like a hotel or like their apartment, and then it. Oh yeah. And then it went back into the Oldsmobile. I'm like, oh, this is kind of this is a nice little creative <laughs> Actually, touch I, here. We're,
1: I was conf- like, all right. So Christy and I we had to rewind that. Yeah. Because Cause you were confused because <laughs> we, we were watching it and then like. Wait, what the fuck? They're in the car, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, were they in the car?" And then Christie was like, "Yeah, they were in the car." And I was like, "What?" And we were like, "No, he's crawling around all over the. That's a massive fucking bed.
2: That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's the only thing that tripped me up. But it was a nice. Touch. Yeah, I no, that, that was very w- creative. Yeah,
0: it was. It was in the script that way. It, it was kind of okay. like this. It, it was actually much more heavy handed in the script, like these very almost fantasy like scenes and we we for we really just couldn't do it we were just like we don't have time and money to do something like fantastic and, and i was like i kind of feel like we've seen that in drug movies like this kind mm-hmm. of sure other world whimsical i was like let's just make it really subtle they just want to be in an apartment like they're just yeah. they're right. not even they don't even have the luxury of being in an apartment like and just kind of in a way that yeah you're like wait are they in because they're in and out of motels their life must feel that way anyways it's like some mm-hmm. they get a little money so they go to a motel to switch it up and take showers and it's like where are they? Like I feel like they're just such transient people and and you know, just being in a warm bed. It's like even that's just like a did that even happen? Like I kind of like that weird we kept it so subtle. That was out of yeah, just necessity of not having time and money and just keeping it simple and I think it worked better than if we had, you know, more money to do it all fancy.
1: Yeah. So you ran you were running and gunning with animals, you said, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I imagine you guys didn't necessarily get all the proper permits that may or may not <laughs> right. be required. Did right. you have? Did you have any of that with all creatures? Uh, because there um, was one shot. I think it was toward the beginning when uh, Ruby was walking down the street, and I think it was after she was just let go. Um, yeah, from the church, or she? Oh no, sorry. Uh, David was being fired and yes. uh, or Jensen and she was kind of looking for David and there was cars passing in the street. Did you guys just kind of we got a that, city cam, no, we're gonna shoot this really quick, or
0: On animals, yes. That type of stuff was always like we'd we'd always like have a building that we had, you know, like our office, we literally had our production office in a spot that we could kind of leapfrog around different alleys, and we were close enough to the office that if anyone you know, came and asked us what we were doing. He we could be like, "Oh, we're over there," you know. And luckily, we never had any, we had never had any, any issues with it. Uh, one time, a cop pulled us over because we were filming with the car and we were just going in a big loop. And we had a fake license plate on it for the mo- you know movie purposes. And the cop was just like, "No, I see you guys. I know what you're doing. We'll. I, <laughs> I put it out. I put I put the word out. You're good. Just be safe. Get it done. And super cool about it. No issues." But on All Creatures, because it was a bigger budget, and this is, again, where it kind of that line of like, I'd rather almost just have less money and do that leapfrog thing and take our chance safely. Obviously, I don't want to be like on train tracks doing something stupid or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, to, to me, like, okay, cool. We're, we're going to shoot in that alley. Then we're going to shoot, you know, on that stairwell. Great. Let's see how much we can get uh, get away with. It's like, you can do that in Chicago. In Kansas City, you definitely can do that. But uh because we had, and I, I loved our producers and I love our team, but they again, they, we had more money, so everything was done right. Like we literally had those streets for us for that day or for that hour or whatever. Hmm. And to me, it was great, but it, I can feel as we we're editing, as we we're shooting, I could just feel the inauthent, inauthentic kind of uh, uh, vibe creeping in.
1: So so you got um, so for example, that, that uh, scene, where Ruby was standing on the corner of the street and a car was passing by, you were queuing the car to go, you were...
0: Yes, we would be like just enough, like sure certain cars would sneak through or something, you know, like we didn't have full control. Like on Gunfight we had absolute control over every Mm -hmm. little thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And on, yeah, on on All Creatures, yeah, for the most part we'd be like, cool, can we just have, you know, so-and-so drive the car by at that point, because I think I'm gonna use that as a cut point. You know, that'll be our out or whatever, but yeah, we and, and I got frustrated because there was like a moment when we were filming that exact scene Where this woman and again, I don't want to exploit this But it you know, it fit our movie <laughs> and we're trying to capture this world and we weren't exploiting mm-hmm. these people But a woman kind of came by on a wheelchair and she was kind of like uh, I don't know if she was homeless or what and she's kind of wheel wheeled through the scene and in my mind I was like gold gold. This is gold like this production is amazing. value. <laughs> yeah, production value. It's so perfect and I remember, like, a couple of producers kind of like, like, no, 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 like, she's not. We don't have her, you know. We track her down. We don't have down. a release, we don't, we don't. Don't have our release yeah. for him, blah blah blah, and it's just kind of like, ugh, like, all those moments would kind of crush me a little because I'm like, I want that capturing lightning in a bottle, and 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 it's when it's so controlled, like, you, yeah, everything just feels fake. It just it feels yeah. like I'm like, ah, we don't have the money to make this look good. It like doesn't look like a busy street. It doesn't look. Something feels off, you know, and Mm -hmm. that was kind of one of my biggest challenges and still is Mm -hmm. like when something's off and you can't quite put your finger on why it's off. Like maybe it's because there's like just the way the people, the bodies are moving, don't feel like real people for some reason
1: or whatever it is. I mean, for all creatures, I think with their handheld. Uh, the steady cam shots and all that, I think it maintained that illusion because I remember watching All Creatures, at least in the beginning when you guys were in the city in Los Angeles or California um, where you guys were shooting, it mm-hmm. still kind of felt like you guys were running and gunning a little bit. Cool. And, but at the back of my mind, I was thinking probably not just simply because of the I mean, Karen. Gillen's involved in the movie. Exactly. Jennifer Morrison and our Jennifer Goodwin. Um, Morrison. Morrison. No, Morrison. Um, yeah, you're right. And um, so you had some, I guess, bigger names associated with it to where I mentioned insurance and everything else yes. comes into play to where it's not going to be, not everyone's agents is going to be signing off on that and saying, exactly. yeah, that's okay. So that's the only thing that kind of made me realize it's probably not running gun, but at least with the technique, the way you shot it, I think it felt. The same way that animals did it felt very very similar good that's uh, like you great said kind hear. of like a that's, sister movie to it
0: yeah no that's amazing i've never actually had anyone i've never had this discussion i think about it all the time and that's that's it like it was me i was trying to be like okay me and my team like how do we we all were like how do we capture that feeling because we had to we had to make that feeling we had to kind of mm. in a lot of it i hid you know when i when i when it wasn't something wasn't working i hid behind the techniques of okay and make it more handheld make it more Mm-hmm. Put dirty up the frame more, put stuff in the way, shoot through the window, shoot through the car, do something because something mm-hmm. wasn't working. and Because uh, you're trying to capture that, that what the the, the when, when you are running, gunning that feeling of of uncontrollable world yeah. around you.
1: Yeah, because when you were when you shot like when I went from that to die in a gunfight, because I immediately watched die in a gunfight following um, all creatures and the opening shot of. Diego getting the shit kicked out of him on the street. It was mm-hmm. like night and day as mm-hmm. far as I was like, "Yep, that street <coughs> shut down." I was like, this, exactly. and I can tell immediately. I was like, "A lot larger budget, um, yeah, a lot more polished look to it, and everything else." So,
0: yeah, no, and see, honestly, what I wanted the movie to be, and again, not to get into like what I wanted versus what, or to go on and on about it, but like that, I wanted that alley scene to feel like it could fit into all creatures or animals, and then when mm. the move, when Ben's movie kind of starts. Then, or his movie moments were more, the polished moments. And then we kind of cut back to these moments that were a little less polished, but it just was, it was just such a hard, you know, thing to capture when, when every, mm-hmm. it, it was just such a hard thing to get everyone on the same page, especially when our everything was already, you know, because everything got cut in half, I kind of had this panic moment, moment of like, I just want the movie to look bigger budget because it's bigger budget. Right. And I kind of bought up, I got wrapped up into my own head about that, like. Okay, let's scrap some of the more rawness and just make it all look good.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which I kind of wish I didn't do. Do you feel like, well, I mean, but I think it's, I mean, at least for me, if I make something, I always learn something from your previous project. And I think everyone does. That's how Mm -hmm. everyone learns, whether it doesn't matter what job you're in. Um, But do you feel like that was... The biggest lesson you learned on this movie, as far as what you wanted to take away from it, as far as kind of main, maybe trying to, I guess, be more mindful as trying to accomplish what you wanted to set out to do, no matter the budget. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't pick up on that um, when I watched Die in a Gunfight. I didn't, I didn't. I guess it wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't showing the difference between the styles enough for me for me to pick up. Sure. On that. Absolutely, um, but I guess what what do you feel was the biggest lesson that you took away from dying a gunfight?
0: Yeah, I think it's um. I think it's yeah, sticking to. One, what you know best, maybe. I, I mean, that could be a little like it's a, sometimes a little bit bad advice to follow because you want to push yourself and try things and whatever. But at the same time, like knowing your strengths also and, and mm-hmm. being confident and you know, kind of my I like that handheld kind of, not crazy. I don't want to go nuts with it, but I, I want things to feel raw and real. Like you can touch, mm-hmm. you can see the atmosphere, you can touch it. You can, you know, it feels gritty and grimy and a little kind of low budget for a lack of, you know, I want big movies. Like I love, like the dark Knight. bringing up the dark Knight again, like it's one of my favorite movies because yeah, it's a big budget movie. But when I saw that movie, it was the first movie I'd ever seen in a long time, at least that Felt like I was like, this doesn't like every scene isn't a blue screen. Like they're actually just in a mm-hmm. Chicago office. It almost yeah. looks like a, it's just, yeah, there's Chicago. You have spectacle. Yeah, e- exactly. Yeah. And that, that has always been what I've wanted. And I feel like, yeah, so learning, you know, what I learned is that, yeah, stick with what, if you want that, go for that. If you want mm-hmm. it, if I, you know, and I kind of got wrapped up in the, well, I guess it's a bigger budget movie. I better keep making it look more polished. And it's like, no, yeah. I should have instead, like we couldn't, we didn't have enough extras to fill the club. You know what I should have done is be like, well, let's not shoot in a club. Let's shoot in a weird dive bar. Let's have them meet these. Let's let's. No, <laughs> there's no studio that is above me saying it's got to be a club. Yeah, there's maybe I would have had a little pushback, but I think everyone would have saw like you're right. We can't afford. We're we're going above our. We're we're a little over our our heads here. Let's let's cha- Let's tweak this scene to fit the budget. Okay, let's make it a weird creepy dive bar that they meet Wayne and Barbie. That could it, it would have worked so much better. You know, like I didn't have the the foresight to or the confidence to be like in my mind I still had that studio I felt like I had a studio above me that's gonna be like mm-hmm. no it needs to look like a big polished WB show mm-hmm. studio you know club scene you know or whatever I, I always say WB that's my nothing it's <laughs> CW. CW. I mean I always say CW <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with like those types of shows but that's how I know when something looks wrong I'm like guys this looks like a CW show Some let's change that get
2: rid of that light let's make it, you know or whatever
0: mm-hmm. um, and
2: so yeah, Colin. One thing I wanted to ask you, and it, it, maybe maybe it's because you said that you had to cut half the budget, and uh, which means you had to cut some of the script out. Just the the tone of of dying a gunfight, I was kind of confused. Like, all are, right, are they going for like a like running scared? You know, the the Paul Walker movie. Are they going for sure. a Pulp Fiction here? Are they going for a Guy Ritchie, lock, stock, two smoking barrel type of vibe? Um, and then I didn't I know mean, if you just didn't have enough time, or is it just a simple like. Well, hey, we had to cut half the half the script out cuz, you know, half the budget was gone and we had to make a movie. Yeah.
0: It's it's kind of that. It was kind of like, well, this is what we got, let's just keep going and cuz either right. something or nothing. And but yeah, it was definitely supposed to be like to me it was supposed to be like this Fight Club world. Ben is in this like Fight Club kind of world like his man cave, you know, the way they live is a kind of this Fight Club meets yeah, like a guy Ritchie, you know, uh or like a Baj Lumin kind of, you know, chaotic Right. over the top and to me all that was was like Ben's world is like this gritty world that he's trying to create but in his head he's seeing this kind of everything's like narration and in mo- freeze right. frame and all those mo- kind of like bro-y douchey movies you know like in a way I'm kind of I wanted to I mean one of the reviews is like oh, I bet I, c- I can just smell the axe body spray all over these <laughs> filmmakers and I was just like gosh like they're totally like m- like they don't know in my mind, I wanted them to have the reference of animals and all creatures to be like, oh. Whereas one critic who I, I kind of got to know a little, I know you're not supposed to like get to know the critics, I guess, but uh, who is a very kind to my other two films and he's he was really cool to talk to. He like kind of saw some weird, interesting thing I was trying to do that I was like, yeah, you're like the only one, and it's because he's the only one that knew my other work, you know. So right. like, it's kind of it's like I don't know what what half of what didn't turn out right is because you kinda, you know, I wish I had like 20, a big body of work that then all of a sudden it's like, well, what is yeah. this movie? Like, you know, this that's the whole point. I wanted it to be like, now this movie's like out of left field. And maybe in retrospect, that'll be the case if I can keep making movies. Yeah. And people can look back well, and be
2: like, well, this is a weird little gem of a weird movie. Right, It's co- colorful and stylized and confusing. Well, Colin, now that you mention it, that you wanted to have that, uh, some some scenes with the atmosphere of animals and all creatures, Mm-hmm. and then but you wanted to also like kind of uh satirize satirize i don't know if that's the right word but satirize yeah. like like a clean cut movie and the scene that yeah. sticks out to me is when um travis femmel and I, i'm sorry i can't remember the characters names off the top of my head but in diego they're they're waiting outside of uh alexandria daddario's character and yeah um they're they're in that waiting room area it's kind of a weird i don't know if it's another room or whatever And they're Uh trying to antagonize Diego, and there's this weird little like edit where it speeds up the frame really quick, and it's sort of like a Looney Tunes sort of. Yes, it's just very out of place, and I'm like, is that intentional or? Yeah, no,
0: that that whole sequence. Is he fucking with me? (laughs) Yeah, that whole sequence is supposed to be just this bizarre Looney, like literally cartoony, like over the top, you know kind of just bizarre, like that's entering the world of wayne yeah travis and oh and okay
1: yeah
0: uh yeah so yeah it's it's uh, it, a lot of it's just like we were just like just go with it just do something crazy here because sure not? sure like uh, to me it was like i just got to go all in now that we have the movie's shot it's like now we just gotta go nuts with it and right you know
1: yeah i mean i know it, this probably doesn't mean anything coming from us but i mean i'm I'm glad you had the balls to like try something different instead of saying, because uh, I mean, I think it's, it's one, how people just get better or just people learn learn new things because maybe there's something that you did in Dying a Gunfight that you understand better for next time or whatever. And the only filmmaker I think that just needs to stay the same is Wes Anderson. He can keep making (laughs) sure. Yeah. He he, he, can (laughs) cookie cutter his his way through everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sure. But I mean, so you're always I mean, even when we talk about movies, we we shit on some movies and usually they're studio ones. I mean, I think we don't watch too many because we got to try and get the uh, tens of viewers for a podcast. Sure, sure, sure. Right. There's not a lot of independent movies we talk about, but um, but no, I think just having the balls to do something different um, just to give it a shot. I mean, I think a lot of directors, I think, do that from time to I mean, Scorsese did it with Hugo. And yeah. um I mean he, he kind of fluctuates between mafia and religious religion films anyways, but um, Sure.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And I feel like Sodenberg um is another one that kind of does different things from time yeah. to time. But uh my favorite my favorite thing in die in a gunfight is when uh Justin Chadwin. Yeah, yeah. His his character goes to kill the informant yes. for that. How the shot, the camera just kind of sits there, and he just it's slot, a great shot, yeah. Slides open the yeah, door, goes yeah. in there. You don't see anything. Camera just stays there. I liked it. That—that that was my favorite shot. Uh, I'm not gonna awesome. lie, when
2: that happened, and I think uh, he killed the other guy who came to the door looking for it with a silencer. Mm-hmm. The whole time, yeah. I'm, I'm like, it's been an hour in, I'm like, where's all the guns? This is dying a yeah. <laughs> yeah Yeah, I know, right? Uh,
0: seriously, mm-hmm. I, I made the joke, like, let's just cut all the guns out and we'll just call it this and <laughs> there will be no gun good. in the movie. That would be crazy. But that, I'm, I love that you like that scene. That scene is exactly how I imagined it. It's exactly what I wanted and that whole informant storyline is the subplot that got cut out of the movie pretty much Uh, like there was this all mm -hmm. very intricate thing where we she was having this interview done and we were going to film part of it It was like it was so much more in depth and that's the storyline I loved and that payoff of him going to kill her like I love that in the script so that I'm just glad even though it's not full it doesn't fully make sense but like seeing him go do that I'm like I'm still I want this to be exactly how it was at least the payoff like of that moment and to feel like that kind of like a you know how I how I would shoot like a Hitchcocky kind of uh, yeah, yeah. James Bond kind of line. scene. Yeah, yeah. And and I I yeah I love that scene and it was that was the last literally the last thing we filmed of that movie and I remember just being like happy that at least that turned out exactly how I wanted it to turn out and it was fun to film and it's kind mm-hmm. of like serious and intense like I think it. yeah works.
1: I like I like how you chose that because he is crossing that line it's not glamorized you don't even yeah. see it you just let your imagination play but he just he knows what he's doing and yeah uh, doesn't really want to do it but then and then also the second person he ends up killing it's just like <laughs> he's like I gotta
2: do this again yeah yeah yeah. yeah I gotta so, do it again yeah,
0: it gets goes out of control yeah
2: yeah so no, I'm glad you like so, it so Colin what other like is there any specific genre that you would wish to do or that you want to do or um, uh, are you sticking more indie and drama action? I, I,
0: I feel like I want to do a little of everything for sure. Like I've never wanted to just do one thing. What, what I really want to do is like now take animals, let's say, or all creatures and just add that like high concept time travel element or that. You know, what I mean, hmm. I want it to feel exactly like animals, but add the high concept thing to it that also elevates it to a bigger audience and to the more playful, you know, uh, whatever so like to, i love high concept stuff that's why i love like back to the future like i think back to the future is a perfect movie and i, I can watch it over and over and over and i'm never bored and i'm never tired and it's funny and it's emotional and it's serious Fantastic. and it's crazy were, it's perfect you're you speaking jay's language that's jay's I, favorite I know, movie I, I'm, I'm glad i'm <laughs> glad i know uh, yeah i there see is. it right there there you go uh, i mean even wally's a masterpiece um yeah. but uh But yeah, like those, I just love like the simplicity of a lot of like 80s movies that, you know, like Ghostbusters and like we think of them as like special effects movies and they are, but they are, they're not, they're very simple. They're like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because it's just like, I love the idea of like some really strong characters, a really good, simple plot, and then like a couple cool gadgets, you know, that do that for some reason could be sold as a toy also and and be Mm -hmm. part of pop culture. Um, so I feel like I do want to make those types of movies but keep them small and keep them like I don't really want to go do like and I'm not saying this just out of like to sound jaded or something but I don't want to make Marvel movies really like I I mean I'd love to make like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie but I'd want to make it like gritty and real and like the first the first 1990 movies is like one of my favorite movies because it's it's if great. you watch that movie it's like a gritty yeah there's silly stuff in it and still for kids but it's not like it's also very gritty and looks more raw than the original batman to me like it looks more oh, like yeah. a scorsese movie than it does a uh, and it's because it was an independent film and so i definitely mm, yeah. always want to have that touch that that accessible emotional human touch uh but hopefully yeah adding some elements of horror or action or you know whatever and and yeah, I'm glad Gunfight got to teach me some lessons of, of how to approach some of the higher concept stuff.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, would you ever consider doing a horror movie? Because Jay doesn't like horror movies, but I absolutely <laughs> I like Silence fan. of the Lambs. I like The Conjuring. I'm a big yeah. Fan of there you go. I, I mean,
0: I like yeah. I I if it's like an, an elevated. I mean, right now it's so in, like with Jordan Peele and with you know yeah. uh, Hereditary and you know all these movies are like Hereditary horror movies, but they're also kind of dramas. And and,
1: I mean, I I want to say I read somewhere someone just started a production company called Good Fiend or something like that. uh, Oh, yeah. There you go.
0: There's Dave. So, I mean, yeah, he's all he's all into horror movies and, you know, he's got his comic book. And my brother, Brandon, he's uh, he runs an Instagram called Monster Vision based on like the, you know, TNT Monster Vision from back in the 90s. If you remember that, that played like, you know, back when you could turn on like a movie creature feature marathons and stuff. Right. And he has like 40,000 followers on there. And it's like, so it's gotten me into like, we love what I said earlier about how horror movies kind of have this creative, something that I used to look down on. Now I look back and like, wow, they they all take such creative risks and do yeah. really interesting things. And, you know, I love stuff like the thing, like John Carpenter's the thing. And like, oh, it's you know, Alien on lower and,
1: budgets too.
0: Yeah, e- exactly. On times. lower budgets, doing very creative. It pushes them, makes, yeah. makes them do creative stuff. And, And you can get an audience, you know, people still watch horror movies in droves. So I absolutely want to make, but I definitely want to do it in the style of like Silence of the Lambs or The Shining or, you know, something a little more. I mean, I love the first Halloween. I think all those movies are, you know, when they're not just cheesy, slacky films, which are also fun in their own way. Like if you look at a lot of the original things, they're pretty, pretty, there's good indie movies that caught on uh, the originals usually. So yeah, I think it'd be fun to play
1: play in every field the um so <clears throat> i guess i was when i was sorry i was trying to my brain skipped five different things <laughs> no, you're good. i had a small stroke uh <laughs> i saw when i was creeping on your twitter uh uh-huh. and you had a picture with uh roger deakins oh the, yeah yeah the man and yeah. Uh, So I wanted to ask, is there anyone and doesn't have to be Roger Deakins, but is there anyone you've kind of come across in your past decade, decade of experience, whether they're famous or well-known or not, that has kind of given you a piece of advice that has kind of stuck with you at all?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, obviously, in college, I had a couple of really good professors that that said, you know, just really practical tangible advice of like that stuck with me, like ideas of like how to approach a moment when you're facing the pressures of, of making a movie and all the things and people screaming and questions at you and, you know, stuff that like just how, how to sift through all the noise and, and stay true, all the typical stuff that a, a good teacher should do. Um But really, yeah, it's all it's just those little little wins to me, like little not wins, little like, yeah, like getting to meet a Roger Deakins and just having them say anything to you is Mm -hmm. is like, whoa, like he it was surreal. Like we went to an event that, you know, was honoring a bunch of different people and him included. And, you know, Dave has gotten to work on a couple of movies that he shot. So, you know, he knows him pretty well. And um, they invited him to go. And Dave's like, do you want to go? And Dave had done a podcast with him. And they talked, he, he, they had watched Animals and All Creatures in preparation. So uh, I thought, you know, I didn't know Roger Deakins. I thought he was just going to be like, oh, good to me. Uh, good job, you know. But he actually, like, they had <laughs> stuff to say. Like, they they had they, watched the film. They, like, analyzed it. They had questions. They, oh, you cool. know, he was excited about, you know, one of the movies I'm working on next is kind of a, speaking of horror, I guess, it's kind of like a thriller, M. Night Shyamalan. Like, it's kind of like The Village in a way. Uh, huh. if I can ever get it off the ground um, and <laughs> I, I, he shot The Village and I kind of forgot that yeah. and I he was mm-hmm. like what are you working on next what are you and I kind of said I was like it's kind of this M. Night Shyamalan kind of vibe and like The Village and he was kind of like oh he, I was kind of like oh my gosh I'm an <laughs> idiot you shot that movie but um, you know just having some <laughs> like i want to do a like, prison
1: movie next yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. crawl through a tunnel uh, of shit <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly uh, No Country for Old Men um, yeah, yeah. which yeah all those movies I love them all so like Yeah, like having someone like him or like I got to meet, like, again, being such a Star Wars fan, got to, you know, uh, meet uh, Mark Hamill a few times. So just like hanging out, I got to like swim in his pool and like he had that we were like kind of cooking out and stuff and just hearing his stories. And it's just encouraging to be like, wow, like, like we have this idea of like making it Oh, i made it cuz i did it did this or did that it's like no i'm like this is it i'm doing it we're just whatever you're yeah. doing in the moment is it like whether it's you know something you're passionate about as long as you're passionate about it and you're surrounded by these little reminders that like the pinch myself moments of like i got to pinch myself because i'm like talking to Luke Skywalker and he's telling me a story about him and Sigornia Weaver like on the set of Alien for some reason i don't know why he's telling me the story but i'm listening cuz and it, it like inspires you you take that with you and you're like wow I'm like in it right now this is like you know we're doing it and there's a bunch I just I always forget them honestly until that weird moment when you need it and I'm like oh yeah that time when yeah so and so was at that party or you know I ran into Travis Fimmel after working with him on Gunfight I ran into him out here in LA and he kind of shouted at me from his car and I was like what are the chances that we just ran into each other and you know those little moments of like wow it's a small world and, and we're all just trying to yeah trying to you know hustle and make it happen
1: so uh your short films oh yeah you yeah. did yeah. johnny appleseed johnny appleseed and then your mm-hmm. most recent one is boy mom uh we haven't had a chance to watch those but if someone say for expiring filmmakers if they happen to listen to this episode and they sure make a short film what are some best practices you think as far as length um uh where to submit it how to submit it like some of yeah. these things that a lot of these people if they don't go to film school maybe they're not aware of or um, anything like that, is it as easy as just going to a festival's website to and following under the submission guidelines or something like that?
0: Yeah, I I think having a plan of, yeah, where to maybe submit and maybe taking a look ahead of time, like keep it simple, like obviously shoot big too, like, okay, cool. You know, maybe if you want to submit to Sundance, if you want to submit to South by Southwest or whatever, but also like keep think local, like Nowadays, you can do so much just right in your area, and there's so many more outlets and avenues, you know. Uh, For me, if I I was doing it all over again or if I had advice, I would be like, make short films that are actually short. Make them really short. Make them like four minutes, five minutes, because then people will play them in their festivals. You can get into great short film festivals that specifically highlight that. That's what we did, and no one cares about like if, if someone sends me a link and like check out my movie and it's nine minutes or if someone sends it and it's three minutes I will watch the three minute one right then and there if it's nine mm-hmm. minutes i be like I'll get to this later and I, mm-hmm. I I'll keep putting it off and you know so I feel like make short films that are short and succinct and where you're learning but you're also keeping it simple so that people will want to watch it and yeah try to get it to film festivals that are designated for short film festivals and see where you're kind of at with you know in, in your your range of how you're doing things and of course put things online you know if you feel like you want to do that like you know it's just funny we weren't a part of that generation of everything we shot just uploading it immediately and putting it on tiktok or whatever uh so i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but i think all, all of it's good practice if you're just constantly doing it and uh whether it's literally just you and your phone or if it's you and your friends or if it's i mean that's what blows my mind everyone's already doing just for fun doing cooler stuff than most big budget commercials, you know, things that I'm like, dang, this is like this is like a 20 second commercial that's incredible and it's just some kid like in his room or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's like just doing it and getting people together to, to do it and yeah, actually submitting it to things but being realistic, like knowing that like, you know, Sundance probably won't take your movie, you know, they don't care, like it's stuff right. like that and, and that's okay, like get it out there some other way and just have stuff so that when you do try to get a feature going, you're like hey look at some of my stuff like you can see what what i'm doing and where i've progressed and and people can see your work or how how we all kind of check on each other online yeah we check each other's twitter we check each other have that i know it's kind of annoying and i hate all that stuff and my brother helps me a lot with that you know instagram and stuff but like justin chatwin in in gunfight said he agreed to do the movie cuz his final push was like cuz i didn't have time to meet him beforehand uh, Dave was actually one of the guys who was supposed to play that role, but he was shooting, um, uh, I think he was shooting Suicide Squad. Anyways, uh, Justin was like, yeah, I looked at your Instagram, and I saw that you had all these storyboards and all these cool things on your Instagram. And so I was like, yeah, this guy looks like he knows what he's doing, and he's got a couple of movies, so I'll do the movie. So, like, yeah, just get your stuff nice. out there and in and, and any way you can, because otherwise, what's the point? You know, you can make the best yeah. movie ever, and if it's just in your backyard,
2: like, your parents watch it, like, who cares? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that kind of leads into this question, Colin. You know, me mm-hmm. and Jay, we talk about movies and we always talk about how different things seem to be nowadays than when we were growing up and mm-hmm. switching over to streaming. And, th- you know, uh, there's an argument that, you know, theaters are dying, which I really don't agree with. I think I think theaters aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Sure. But what what do you. What do you, what's the feeling that you get? What's the state of just movies in general that we're at right now? We always talk about making content for content's sake and yeah. a lot of stuff that comes out nowadays, just it doesn't feel like there's any real thought into it or creativity or anything like that. It just feels like manufactured. Sure. Garbage, that's just kind of stamped out and just just thrown out there. Do you get that feeling too, or like yeah. where do you think we're headed with this whole thing?
0: Yeah, it's crazy because I agree. I don't think movie theaters are going anywhere for a while, and I think there always will be a spectacle movie as long as we right. have the spectacle things. Um, I mean, look, Mario, the new Mario movie. Like, there you go. Like, great by the if way. You, if you have the audience and it's that's crushing it, and 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 you do it right, I guess, like, then people will see it. But yeah, you're right. I I have trouble with all the. It's just there's so much content. It's like how do you yes. how do you decipher what's what and. You know, so many things are great. Like, obviously, there's a lot of everything's in TV now. Everyone wants episodic mm-hmm. stuff so they can binge watch it. And I have a hard time with that stuff because I, to me, I'm still part of me holds on to that cinephile, right. uh, you know, what do you, kind of pretentious, like, ugh. Like, even TV, like, yeah, it's amazing, and and it looks amazing. But if you really go watch, like, some 70s movie, you're like, holy crap, this, you go watch Network or something, you're like, this is a masterpiece, no TV shows even touching this, like, not even close, like, we kind of forgotten, I think, our perspective of how good some of the old, old classics are, they're, they're like, movies are movies, you know? And then you watch some show, you're like, yeah, this is a good show, but like, it still is kind of like, you don't really need episode three, because it's filler to get to episode eight, or whatever, and... You know, yeah. so there's so much of it. It's like, it's awesome because there's more voices, more people can make stuff. You know, you, we have oppor- more opportunities, I think, for filmmakers to get out there. But at the same time, it's like, but your audience is shrinking
2: because, you know. Right. You have your so niche I'm, audience. So I'm curious, Colin, how do you filter them? Like like you said, there's just so much crap out there. And I, mm. I, I'm like, you know, I have kids and I'm like, God, I really have to be selective on what I watch and spend my time watching. So sure. do. Do you filter things through like genre, or is it director or yeah. actor, actress? Like, what do you? How do you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. It's definitely director.
0: It's definitely like, okay. of course, I'm gonna like see every like Scorsese film. I, I like, I'll watch. Yeah, every Wes Anderson film. I, I weirdly don't watch Spielberg movies anymore. I try, and I'm like, I, huh. like the last few Spielberg movies. I'm like, I just don't care about West Side Story (laughs) you know what I mean like like I think the
1: last one I saw of him was Ready Player One and before that it was I can't remember I know I actually
2: have never seen War Horse and that's the I've never never seen it Yeah, yeah there's a bunch of yeah I haven't yeah that's I mean
0: after like Minority Report, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, like Spielberg, oh, I don't know why he's making like Bridge of Spy, like who wants to watch these movies? Uh, so, you know, of course I love Spielberg, he's amazing, and I Jaws, and all, they're all masterpieces, but uh, yeah. yeah, I kind of filter th- by director, and also okay. by my nerdiness of like, like I watch Mandalorian and stuff. Like I watch, you know, gotcha. it's like because it's fun to me and it's, it's, you know, honestly, I watch a lot of stuff like Rick and Morty and stuff that I can turn. That's how I turn my brain off. Like, sure, sure. Watch like cartoons and stuff that are just fun yeah. and crazy. Uh, but I get frustrated by everyone being like, did you watch this? I just been, to me, I'm like, I don't like I can't do it hurts to watch stuff like it's painful (laughs) like it's like a chore and I'm thinking about all these questions that we're all talking about and that you guys are dissecting regularly on this podcast like that stuff's a lot to take on and like most people don't care most people just turn something on and they're texting the whole time while they're watching it you know
2: yes yeah I think
1: I think what's going to be happening is because we're I, I have a feeling we are probably just past the midway point of the golden age of television
2: Sure. And Mm -hmm.
1: I think what's going to happen, the reason why everyone started moving to TV was because of shows like Oz or The Sopranos. Or The mm-hmm. Wire, you could do longer form character studies. Yeah. And a lot of actors wanted to gravitate towards that. So now then you get Mad Men, you get Breaking Bad, you have all those shows. Yeah. But it's getting to a point, everything is a show. Everything is five seasons. Everything is such a huge time suck to be involved in.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think being able to tell a story, I mean, even movies are getting three hours long normally. <laughs> I mean, Martin Scorsese's... <laughs> Killers of the Flowers Moon is like clocking in at like four hours or something like that. John
2: Wick Wick chapter four was almost three hours long. John Wick chapter
1: four is three hours. um, To where I think, uh, it's, but it's still shorter than a five season show. And if you can tell a a specific story, at least a good character story, I think in three hours or less or even two hours, um, I think that's gonna be more valuable because of the amount of volume of content that's Mm -hmm. getting out there people just aren't going to have time. And I think people are slowly going to start gravitating towards movie stories again just because they don't want to have to feel like they have to invest the time or if they watch a show on Netflix and Netflix decides to cancel it after a season. Well, that's just a season I just wasted. So I think a lot of that might be coming into play here, especially with so many streaming services popping up and all this content needing to be created. I think a shrinking effect may happen or maybe it's maybe everyone's just making something and I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world or however many that.
2: Which is why I'm happy Colin's a movie director and I could just watch three movies and not, you know, 10 seasons of uh, law and order, criminal intent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because to pick his brain. (laughs) And that's why, because when we first started this
1: podcast, we, we were going to, Oh, we could do TV shows and Uh, we can do movies, but doing a TV show, like if it's not complete, it's hard for at least for me to talk about it because The story's not complete. I don't right. know if they stick the landing. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could
0: take a quick, yeah, wrong turn, and you're like, we're not into this anymore. Yeah, or like you said, Netflix cancels it. And you're like, well, why would we just talk about it then? Yeah.
1: Yeah, or you're predicting what may or may not happen next season. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah, it's, yeah. It's almost like talking just for the sake of talking. But yeah, to yeah. where movies are so finite, you have a product you can right. sit and watch it for a couple hours, and then.
2: So, Colin, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm curious about getting stuff. When you get stuff greenlit now, is there more of a pressure for for getting money to to fund or uh, you know to get to get the movie going? Uh, is there more of a push for it? Like how, like, are they, th- are they thinking, is this going to play on Netflix or is this going to play on Hulu for yeah. streaming? Or are they worried about a theatrical release? Like what, what, what is weighted it's, more nowadays? It,
0: it's definitely all about the streaming. Like no, like okay. theatrical release. Like here's an example, Netflix wanted animals and we all were like, mm, no, like because Netflix wasn't Netflix yet when animals came out, mm. it was, yeah. but it, it just made the transition into actual Net like I remember being like, why is it called Netflix? Why isn't it called Mailflix? Like I'm getting <laughs> these in the mail. Like I, I, yeah. I was so dumb I didn't realize how big it was gonna be. Yeah. You know that the whole point is it's streaming and and I remember we we kind of like like we're like yeah we want it to go to theaters. We want animals to play even at, if it's just a few art house theaters. Like that's mm-hmm. the whole point. So we like held out and play and had it go to theaters, and then Showtime took it, and uh, and then eventually it was on Hulu. But like, yeah, it's very quickly. That was only on animals. The other two movies, especially Gunfight, it's just all about. Yeah, we got a mini theatrical release for both of them, and AMC actually was part of the plan, which was cool for Gunfight to have it play at some of the AMC's, but. Mm-hmm. It still was just like, that was just like a little gimmick. Like, it's all about who's going to take it. And it was about Lionsgate getting it to a certain platform, and which Catch eventually it. was Hulu. Uh, but at the beginning now, going into, as a movie's getting greenlit, it's all about where do you think this is going to play? What audience? Mm. Uh, for, you know, most likely not in theaters. Um, and, which is fine. Like, I, I, I'm all for, like, getting as many eyes on it nowadays. You know, before, I again, I was like, I want to be at the theaters. But, like, now it's, like, I just want the most eyes on it, really. Um, right. But that's always the conversation of, like, what selling it at a flat rate kind of price to, like, a Netflix or whatever. And then they have the contract is, like, it's on there for two years or whatever the turnaround is. And, and yeah, it's all very – it's still like the
1: Wild West, uh, figuring it all out. So, having said that, now like, say for your next project, <clears throat> how – how soon are you aware if it's going to get a theatrical release or if it's going to be a streaming movie? And um, the reason why I ask that, because if you know it's going to be a streaming movie ahead of time, are you going to shoot it differently so that way it comes across better in TV and smaller devices as opposed to theaters? I think or, the way, Would there be a difference?
0: No matter what, I will always try to shoot like a theater. Like I always shoot mm. like as can we get it as wide wide you know anamorphicy looking as i don't care let's put the black Words <laughs> of arabia yeah, yeah that's what i want crumbs. i want it as skinny as possible uh no matter what and and i always luckily win that argument cuz luckily that's the stuff i think people are going to push back on and no one cares and i'm like well i care so i want it to be that but uh yeah so i think i think the it never comes up what's weird about my three movies and the everyone's all of them so far is that uh we're we're going into it without a distribution plan hoping that the movie's good enough that it'll be that someone will want it so what's mm-hmm. really weird is at this level if this was like 20 years ago and I, I I'm doing the exact same thing let's say i it would not be that that way it would be like by now my third movie and especially my fourth movie would a company would have a kind of pre-sold pre-packaged idea of what they're doing like yeah there's talks of that there's always like talks of the pre-sale of how it's going to be, you know, what the plan is, but it still just feels up in the air until the movie's done. And then the movie's done and you're like, okay, I hope someone, is this a festival movie or like gunfight didn't feel like a festival movie plus COVID hit. So we, there were no festivals, but even without that, we were like, we were going to go straight to like a Lionsgate to put it onto like a Hulu. We weren't even going to do a festival circuit. Whereas animals and all creatures, we knew no one, no one would really necessarily want it unless we showed that it was a festival movie. You know, it's like a festival baby. So it's like really now the, you no know, even with the budgets getting bigger, the talk. And this is why I'm saying nobody cares in a way. Like what you can do is is it's kind of freeing, even with like a five million dollar budget or ten million dollar budget, it still feels like, everyone's treating it like a two hundred thousand dollar. This is just a micro budget. We don't drop in a bucket. I, yeah, yeah drop in a bucket. Let's see what happens. Maybe someone will take it. So in a way that's freeing because you're like wow there's no it's there's no pressure like i i yeah. just pretend i'm making a two hundred thousand dollar movie but that's at the a end good of the day, point you i did not ho- thought about that yeah yeah you hope someone still some you hope it ends up on one yeah. of these platforms and not just
1: on youtube because i mean are those producers then thinking okay i have i have 10 movies that are five million dollars and if long as one of them busts yeah. out then i make my money back so it's kind of like having a bunch of not all your eggs in one
2: basket per se diversifying their portfolio Yeah, diversifying (laughs) your portfolio
0: yeah that that's it that's that's totally it like it's kind of like one out of the five or one out of four let's say their slate of movies each year is like they do five Mm. of them one of one of them is a you know has like some bigger actor and then one that is a smaller budget so they can kind of let those people just go do something and one's a horror movie so that's a genre thing so they know that'll fit somewhere like they kind of ratchet it off that way i feel like um but yeah, it's still kind of like, that's that's exactly it. Hoping one sticks, hoping one makes some money back or something. Uh, or at least gets sold or or whatever. Um, so yeah, I try not to think about any of that stuff anymore. I used to think about all that. Now I'm just like, I just want to make the movie. I just want to make mm-hmm. the movie and be in the moment and then let them think about that. Of course, I you partake in the conversations and you give your two cents. and But it all changes as the movie is being made. So it's like... I don't know. Like it's, it's everything's just so it's like, no one knows what they're doing anymore. Like no one knows how to (laughs) that's because no, like you can put a big person in your movie and it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, for some reason that's still the criteria. That's like my, the slow part of getting my movies made now. Still the new movie I'm working on is casting and stuff. It's like, they want you go through all these Mm A-list casts, you get it to them, you get it to their team. They take a month, then they pass on it. Like casting is the worst phase ever because you're just waiting on someone to say no, and they say no, and you're like, did they even look at it? I don't know, but the, but the, the money people wanted you to get it to that person, so you, and you know, you, you whittle your way down to like the C-list version of that A-list actor. It, it kind
1: of sounds like a little bit like Moneyball to it, where it, you have yes. the producers still they're the old time sca- uh, baseball scouts and yeah. they think ah he's, he's he's got an ugly girlfriend so he has no confidence so they yeah. still say oh we need a star well no story is probably king more now more than ever sure yeah yeah, yeah. Um, because You're you can abs- have massive movies but a lot of them just i mean i feel like fall flat or at least the story's just not there mm-hmm. maybe because they're competing with coming out with all this other content that's simultaneously mm-hmm. coming out at all times.
0: Mm-hmm. But, yeah. No, that's that's honestly that it's the perfect comparison. I think Moneyball, that's it. Like that's the world it's in right now. It's all being figured out still. Uh mm. but it's it's like we're in this Moneyball situation with how how movies are being made and it doesn't it's all a mess. Like it can't it's like right. two clashing styles of of young, the young generation and because back in the day like when Spielberg and them got to do everything like the same thing was happening like the, the studio industry was kind of like falling apart all these big like spectacle musicals were not no one was caring
1: anymore mm-hmm. westerns and, were dying yeah
0: westerns were dying and then all these young people came in and the studios were like ran by like mob bosses and stuff so like we don't care <laughs> like spend money on these you know and that's why Spielberg and these yeah. guys got to do this stuff and try things and and I think that's the the audiences were craving something real and grounded that reflected their world. They didn't want song and dance and Westerns. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's always about figuring out, okay, well, what is it then? What is, what is, what is, it's always about the story and the audience and what they want. And for some reason, the way the movies are made, that's the last thing that's talked about in the process of making the movie.
2: It's very frustrating. Yeah. And you can tell on a lot of stuff that comes out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. it, the last, it, it the shows, last thing. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, so Colin, you mentioned that you're working on a new project Uh, and i think you said it's m night Shyamalan vibes like are you allowed to talk about like anything yeah this one i can
0: yeah i because i have two going uh, they're both the same size budget it's just a matter of which one goes first one is from spyglass but so it's like a it's literally spyglass entertainment so it's like the Mm -hmm. first one that is kind of being nurtured by a, a little production company but at the same time it's we're hitting so many walls and it's all casting and it's a it's I don't know what's happening with it, so that movie's kind of been frozen. I feel like, which is fine. Uh, the writers of uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, that movie, if you remember mm. that movie, they no, yeah. they wrote yeah. they wrote it, uh, and it's it's been it's been a cool process getting to know them and getting to know the guys at Spyglass. But at the same time, that's a whole frozen thing that's not moving right now, which is fine. Uh, so I'm kind of shifting over to the other one, which is a little more independent, but it's the same budget and it's the, a lot of the same producers that I worked with on. Uh, Die in a gunfight. Uh, a, a lot of the ones that I really vibed well with in Toronto, and it, yeah, that's the one that I'm really excited about. And it's it's kind of it's a team of people from Kansas City that I met uh, when I was shooting All Creatures, who had a script mm. about. I won't say too much about it. It's basically I'll just say it's a vi- very village. The village meets uh, maybe like a quiet place or something. So it's in a vein okay. of those types of movies, a thriller. But I think it lends itself to my. Style of that kind of gritty, grounded world really right. leaning into the, hopefully the Your characters. Sensibilities. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, but with this kind of, like I was saying, with the kind of a genre-y heightened element to it. Um, so yeah, that's the one that it, we're casting and it's the same budget, but I think because it's a genre movie we can, hopefully can get away with not having to cast like what they think, you know, Tom Cruise sure. or whoever they think needs to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, or, sure. Um, I hope. But Yeah. So that's all I can really say, I guess, but it's, we'll see. Like uh, fast forward a year, I might be shooting. I might, I mean, the goal is to shoot this year. One of them, that one actually by September, August, September, but we're hitting the point where I don't think it's going to happen this year, but that's okay. Like I think it can still happen next year. Uh, Awesome. It's just a slow, literally one thing gets done every two weeks. Like one Mm -hmm. correspondence (laughs) happens probably every two weeks. So like at that rate that's why it takes three years to like get something going no matter what you do you can push as hard as you want and I feel like nothing i just short of me grabbing a camera and being like hey guys like Matt Jay, if we're going to film like that's the only way you can literally get something done so that's why the right. appeal of just going to make a $200,000 movie is still so intriguing because it's like man I mm. still I think you can make it's better to pump out five of those you know than wait around for three years trying to get
2: yeah, yeah. Know. I was, I was just thinking, yeah. Just based on everything you've been talking about, it's, it's like ninety five percent of movie making is not making the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's rough. It's just, what's your
2: things up? What's your
1: day job? I mean, in uh, between these projects,
0: it's, it's all. I mean, Gunfight helped me coast a little, and thank God because of COVID, like no one was working out here. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm literally doing random editing gigs, like for a while I worked for a company that worked for NBC and like, I got, it's all like Mm. promo type, you know, I would do stuff like, you know, the things that they're like, this Sun check out this Sunday, you know, like stuff like that. And it was cool. It pays well and it's great. And now I've been doing a lot more freelance stuff. So like I can, I can kind of choose projects based on, okay, this one will be busy, keep me busy for two weeks and let me coast for the next two weeks. So it's still very stressful. Like I, I Mm. honestly am, it's, getting harder, the older I get to be like budgeting out kind of, okay, I can do this gig that'll get me through a month. And then, you know, what's coming next kind of thing. It's still this paycheck to paycheck vibe. So that's why I'm one of my, you know, some of my advice for anyone who's really trying to get into it. It's like, learn how to edit. Cause that's the only thing that Everyone needs an editor, and for, it's the only thing that pays. Like, it's the right. only thing you can show up and they actually pay you the, the rates you deserve, and they're not trying to cut corners for some reason. Whereas if, if you're the PA, they're like, I "Can only get you the rate of fifty today," and you're just cleaning up garbage, and it's great. You need to do that too, but like at least editing, you're getting paid an editor's rate, and you're you kind of get it's not as soul sucking, I guess. Um, mm-hmm.
1: So I do that a lot, and yeah, um, trying to think. do. You, do you see yourself enjoying editing to the point that you would like to do that for larger productions, or do you still are you still gravitating at least now for directing still?
0: Yeah, I, I fully directing. Like, there's no way I can like I deliberately choose editing projects based on the smallest least amount of pressure. Like, I hmm. I just do it to pay money like to, or mm-hmm. to to make money and pay the bills because I don't I don't see myself like I don't want to edit other people's. Work or like I want to do dumb, stupid things that I don't have to think that much and just piece them together uh, to get by. And then in theory, yeah, have these. I mean, the, the the next movie I do, I'll finally be in the DGA. Like I'll have all my, I, I have all my stuff to be in the DGA and all that. And for, with that, will come like you know f- proper health insurance and stuff that'll be right. a little more stable. Uh, and I'll I'll be on list to if I want to like direct. TV shows and you know, gotcha. Even if it's just small stuff, just that. So there, in theory, I'll be making solid money as a working director in a way, and then doing my movies as you know, uh, like my passion projects. And, and if sure. those become big, you know, studio movies, that's cool too. You know, I'm down to follow that path for sure.
1: What you said, you had all of the uh, stuff for your DGA kind of set. What what's required to uh, become a member?
0: It's a, ma- it's a number of hours on set. Um, and a lot of D- people in the DGA come up through like being actual, actual, like, uh, like first, you know, assistant director and basically the AD team, which I don't do any of that, like managing the set and, you know, uh, that's how they get their hours to be, you know, uh, like set hours to, to qualify. And then on top of that, you have to pay, I think it's like a $13,000, uh, payment, uh, at the at the beginning with those yeah. hours uh so it's a lot but uh I, that would come out of my salary for the next movie so it's worth it because the mm-hmm. th- stuff that comes with it it's like worth it but uh it's just DGA's yeah. director's
1: guild yeah right? sorry uh, director's
0: so yeah. guild yep. yeah yeah absolutely uh it's like the writer's
2: guild right yep. yeah
0: writer's guild and and sag the you know actors yeah so yeah so i i think i'm i'm close enough i might as well just follow through with that and get in there and see what job opportunities. Cause I've never pursued the like commercial directing world. I've never directed commercials to pay bills. And for, for whatever reason, editing has been just the easier route for me and less mentally and physically demanding. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, it's getting tougher, but at the same time, each project I'm getting, you know, the salary is getting bigger and you know, it, it seems like, Oh cool. You're getting paid a ton of money, but it's like, well, this is kind of the three years, it yeah, really, it sure. really evens out. It's and then it's me being smart enough, you know, having to be taxes to, and everything. Yeah, oh, else. Oh yeah, paying. Yeah, paying Dave is ten uh, yeah, percent. That's right. But like, yeah.
2: can't forget about Dave.
0: I mean, yeah, for real, exactly. Like paying all that stuff, it, it like doesn't go far. It does, but like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a matter of knowing, like, okay, I, I need to make this last for the next three years or two years or whatever, which is what I did from gunfight and it seemed cool at the time, but now I'm like, okay, those three years are up. Uh, so it's like, it's, yeah, it's like tr- scrambling to, to get the next thing going, but it's, it's, I don't know, it's working so far. Like it, each one's I'm climbing that ladder, but it's just funny how the system is changing so much with it that it feels like you're spinning. Like if this was 20 years ago, I swear I would, I, I don't want to say I'd be rich, but I would, I would be, I think mm-hmm. I would, I would be selling gunfight to Lionsgate. I would have made a, I didn't get anything, you know, you just, it's kind of like, you want right. to be, you want Lionsgate on your, you know, at the beginning of your movie, you're like, yeah, it's like, well, that's, that's the payment, you know, it's like, ah, oh. whereas before you get your salary and royalties, instead now it's mm-hmm. like, no, it's on, it's just on the platform now, and, and so it's like, it's a bummer that the cusp, I, I'm like, I'm riding that, it's like climbing up to becoming a C, uh, you know, the CEO of a company, but you're still being paid the starting fee, it's yeah. like, gotcha. because you're like. It, that's exactly what it is. It's like you're climbing the ladder, but the payment, the pay, is barely going up with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's tricky.
1: I think it's interesting because a lot of things you've said during this podcast, I can draw parallels to. Uh, I've worked at news stations. I've worked. Mm-hmm. I work at a manufacturing facility. Currently, uh, mm-hmm. I do marketing for them, but it's all the same bullshit. Mm-hmm. it's,
2: it's, it's I, like
1: pe- people making decisions but not really caring or yeah, they're yeah. not i mean they're they're worried about their own shit that they got going on uh-huh. and then shit's falling by the wayside over here to where oh yeah. maybe they're not caring about the product whether that's a movie or whatever the company's right, making right. they're really yeah. worried
2: about their their little niche they're not worried about yeah the overall yeah
1: yeah i hear you it's it's funny how
0: it all yeah it's all the same it's kind of the same boat and it's i guess it's just up to us to figure out how to navigate through that and i don't know it's very strange but it is what it is
2: all right all right colin cool Uh, guys we're gonna wrap it up here i have one last question for you go for it and and uh since we are a movie podcast Uh i need we need your opinion on something we might actually talk about it on the next episode so what do you think is the most overrated film ever made and why is it shawshank redemption exactly <laughs> that's right you guys did mention that you know what's yeah. funny
0: about that year i think shawshank redemption and forrest gump are majorly overrated films uh, and there you go that's so funny i don't that's a hard question honestly uh okay
1: honest, all right I'll
2: say this. I added that in there just to rib Matt. Yeah, because Shawshank's my favorite movie. Yeah. No way,
0: is it really? Wow, I love it the is, score. the Shawshank Redemption score is amazing to me. I love that yeah. score, and I kind of miss like '90s, you know, yes. scores where the music swells up. And uh, but I get why I get I understand why you say it's overrated. My brother would totally agree with that. Um, I love I love Shawshank Redemption, but I also think that I think like Pulp Fiction was the best movie of that year. It's uh, a great movie. Yeah, ninety four or whatever that year was. Um, actually, Lion King might have been like the best movie of that year. But uh, uh, <laughs> no, what I think is overrated and everyone hates me for it. I think Annie Hall is overrated. Oh, and I think Star pick. Wars did way more for cinema than Annie Hall. So it's yeah, like, that's one
1: of those. That's another instance of a Crash winning Best Picture. Yeah, and where it should have been Brokeback Mountain, and then you have uh Annie Hall winning when it should have been Star Wars yeah
0: yeah it's like and again I think I think they've talked about this like it's almost like we should give the Oscar like five or ten years after we should be five (laughs) years behind on the Oscar award to be like who deserves this but uh yeah I don't know there's a lot of movies I think are overrated but also a lot of I I watch a lot of garbage too that I think is awesome that is terrible right
2: yeah I like it for my own
0: reasons well I mean
2: I'm I'm happy you said Annie Hall, because I, I I agree. I think Woody Allen is maybe the most overrated director. Yeah, I really don't like his movies all that much. I think Match Point is the only one I really enjoy. I know, and, match, and, match Point's my favorite. I love um, Match Point.
1: I, I like Match Point. Uh, Annie Hall, I've only seen once in college. I remember enjoying it and thinking sure. it was funny, but it was different at the time when I saw it. Sure, and, sure. Um, and no one really talks about it anymore. Yeah. So, right, right. Um, but yeah, Match Point I like. But I mean, Woody Allen at least what he was a director that just like churned him out is like yeah. year after year. I think he's still here. Yeah, does it's he? impressive. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah um, one a year. And it's yeah. like, and it's like once like once every seven movies that he does, then he's in the spotlight again because yeah. it it registered with like mm-hmm. a lot of uh, mem- people in the audience. And yeah, um, yeah, it's just weird. But it's like one of those. Yeah, he's his batting average is not very high for me. Yeah, it <laughs> just well. pumps
0: them out. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. But um, Colin, thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you absolutely. for hanging out with us and uh, taking uh, guiding us through the uh, murky world of independent <laughs> filmmaking and really kind of uh, zeroing in on your films and uh, just kind of walking us through that process and giving us a lot of insight. Uh, I, we really appreciate yes, it. Yes. So thank you very, very much.
0: Absolutely, Don. Uh Thank you for having me, and and I'm I was happy to do it. And you guys are I I love this. I could talk about this obviously for hours with you guys. So I appreciate you having me on, and I don't get to talk about this stuff that much, surprisingly. So
2: (laughs) well, (laughs) yeah, Colin. You know, we'll keep in touch and if your new movie comes out we want to talk about it we'll have you on again and yeah hell if you're if you're bored and you want to come on as a guest we'll talk about whatever we me and jay love talking about random you come home and you want to go to the 70s basement
1: for the uh with the wood paneling absolutely uh, oh i took note of that
0: basement don't worry yeah no when i'm home (laughs) next i'll let you know for sure and definitely when my next movie comes out i'll let you i'll i'll keep you guys updated and we can talk about it as much or as little as you want
2: Awesome.
1: Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you very much, Colin.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Matt.
1: Join us next time as we discuss another hidden gem, 2015's comedy horror fantasy film, The Final Girls. And as always, comment on our episodes at acastwithnoname.com or shoot us an email. uh, Listen to our past library. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Uh, to help kind of boost the algorithm, if you will. So, uh, until next time, Jay. Until next time, Matt.